Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Super Show Podcast, episode number 197, in an episode that I would like to assure everyone watching and or listening at the moment is not sponsored by or affiliated with Sony or PlayStation in any way possible. We just, we share the cookie in whichever way it may crumble, and this week it's happened to crumble in a way that Xbox fans uh, might not be overly chuffed about, um, but Jonesy, who is joining me this week, uh, that is all just speculation and hearsay until Phil Spencer opens his mouth next week. But when has something being hearsay ever stopped us from tearing it to shreds and taking it straight to the bank? Uh, never, Cotton. We like to talk about it straight away as soon as there's any inkling of news. Absolutely, because we're in the podcast game. In the podcast game, if you're not first, you're last. Which, uh, let's be honest, we're, we're never first, which probably means we're already last. We definitely means we're already last. But as long as all of you are along for the ride, um, then that makes it all worth it. Speaking of along for the ride, we are live on YouTube as we speak. Um, I haven't got the chat in front of me, but a big shout out to anyone who is with us tuning in. Um, I might jump over to you, Jonesy, in a second to give some shout outs to anyone in the chat. But I will just say in the meantime, that you don't have to join us live if you don't want to. Because, of course, the VOD stays up on YouTube. You can catch up on the show after the fact. You can catch it on major podcasting platforms like Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts if you want that audio experience. That bi Actually, it's not binaural audio. I don't know why. I can't promise binaural audio. But if you close your eyes and imagine hard enough, you might get some kind of ASMR-adjacent sensation out of it. Like, give him a whisper, Jonesy. Hello, and welcome to the uh, Super Show. Uh, see, statistically speaking, one out of ten of you just got a boner right now. If it's not you, it's someone else. And of course, you can always join in the conversation. If it's not in the comment section down below, then you can do it on Twitter. The handle over there is at SuperShowPod. And I've got a feeling, Jonesy, if this is one of those weeks where most of our news story is sourced from or we learn from Twitter, then maybe the fine folks who exist over on the X sphere might have something to say. Um, are there any shout outs? To give in the early state, I know we've only just gone live, so people are probably still rolling in. No, there are a couple of shout outs. I would like to say hello to Magni, to Brimstone, to Slick, to Crispy and Ben Smith, who are all joining us in the chat already ready to get down and dirty with us and talk about this Xbox leak situation uh, that we are, we are going to be jumping into, as well as, of course, the PlayStation State of Play, which happened almost a week ago at this point. Yes, we were in an awkward situation where we ended last week by talking about an upcoming state of play, and we're going to end this week by talking about an almost week old state of play. But there were some games in there, um, in particular um, the return of our old friend Mr. Hideo Kojima that we'd be remiss if we didn't at least break down on one episode of this podcast, so that will be today. So look forward to that. Unfortunately, that does pile on a little bit of further misery for the Xbox folks Um amongst our audience but some people out there might be listening or watching and have no idea what the fuck we're talking about jonesy because as we've kind of hinted at a few times this is a situation that has existed largely on social media up to a certain point it has been acknowledged by the powers that be but really snowballed um from i don't know if you remember but actually a few weeks back this was one of those situations where i think two weeks ago i had thought about I'd heard some murmurings and thought about mentioning it, something we can talk about. And of course, I don't know if you recall, but last week you asked me if you thought we should talk about this subject, you know, like, well, eight days before some of the news that's broken in the, you know, in the recent, in recent hours in some cases. Do you remember that? No, I don't, re I don't remember. Oh, no. You did. Uh, I, uh, what was, but that was very limited in scope, wasn't it? There was nothing. I think at the moment. 
Yeah, and it was one or two games, yeah. uh, one or two games that we'll, we'll get into what's actually going on in a second. But it was the early murmurings of, as I said, yeah, a series of rumors and stories and speculation hearsay that really snowballed. That essentially, if you hadn't guessed already by the way this podcast has been titled and thumbnailed, revolves around Xbox's potential move into multi-platform releases. Um, obviously, Xbox have been on something of a spending spree across recent years, acquiring studios left, writing, left, right, and center. The kind of the thinking has been, I guess by most people, that they're building up their body of IP and titles that they own exclusive rights to so they can put big fat games like Starfield and Indiana Jones and Halo Infinite on the Xbox, maybe on PC as well, but they control a bunch, they have their own PC ecosystem. That's all fine. And then say, hey, if ever you needed a reason to buy the least popular home console on the market out of the big three at least, then we're kind of continuing to give you one. Um, day by day in the past week, the logic behind that argument has kind of been battered away as more and more insiders, and we must stress these are people who just sort of work for various publications and claim to be in the know, have come forward and put forward the names of more and more games and more and more IPs and titles um, that Xbox now own that could be coming um, to other platforms in the future. Of course, the most controversial one being the PlayStation 5, because there's a platform that up until now, outside of things like the Elder Scrolls Online, which Xbox inherited, and Minecraft, which Xbox inherited, they haven't really fiddled around with too much. Um, and Jonesy, it started with, let, let's say, softer um, IPs. The kind of things that if they went multi-platform, you'd go... Uh, do you know what? Okay, odd, but not the end of the world. Games like Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves, which, like, if you saw Sea of Thieves with a PS5, your your brain wouldn't melt, I'm guessing. No, because it, it's not a sort of a, a title, it's not an IP that you immediately associate necessarily with Xbox, so it's not something which is going to, you could be surprised at. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about that, with because if you think about with Xbox and saying multi-platform, of course, now that they own Activision Blizzard, even the fact that they were talking about an eight-year deal whereby COD was going to stay on the PlayStation, I suppose mm -hmm. was the big was maybe a bit of an insight into the fact that they were already thinking in this direction. And and it actually makes me think of um, going back to last year to twenty three when uh, Phil Spencer and a number of different like podcasts and interviews and things was talking about how I uh, was openly saying that um, Xbox had lost the hardware war. Yep. Um, and, and some people back then, Xbox fans, were kind of lamenting the fact that he was being so open and saying that they were like, they they were, you know, trailing pretty heavily and that he was capitulating. I think that's what they felt like he was capitulating. But actually, you've got to think that maybe this is, this is something that's been coming for a long time and Xbox are just doing the smart thing, moving in the smart direction by saying, hey, why don't we just go multi-platform and sell all of our cool stuff all over, you know, Switch, PlayStation. Uh, actually... It's, it's weird that it's not weird, is what I think I'm trying right. to say. Yeah. Well, I think it's also because... It's also like, weird, because you don't it, expect it. It, it. it is weird, but like the example I gave, and we haven't got onto some of the heavier-hitting IPs yet, but the example I gave to you before we started recording is, imagine walking into a local brick-and-mortar game store and seeing a copy of... I don't know if I don't know where the Halo franchise is going in the future, so let's just say Halo Infinite with a big blue PS5, like banner or logo at the top of the box or white or whatever actually i don't even remember what the ps5 banner that's how long it's been since i've bought a game yeah uh so that yeah i would think that that was fake if i if i saw yeah. that you would think that someone had made up a knockoff box and they'd put they'd done it as a joke or something you would it just would look wrong hey so for me absolutely halo 
is Halo is going to be the biggest title. As soon as that is on PlayStation 5, all bets are off. Anything Xbox can be released on the PlayStation. Um, and right. the Switch as well, but I think the Switch... The Switch less so, because I, I would think anyone anyone who's got any business acumen would want their games on the Switch. And I don't think you would feel like it was treading on the toes of your own system if you're Xbox, because those two things are not comparable. The Switch is a different offering. It's a, you know, it's a handheld that you can take yeah. around with you. It's less powerful, etc., etc. But yeah, the second that Halo is on the PlayStation, I think that is that is some that is a new world. Yes, no, I I completely agree. If like we roll back a little bit to the kind of the various reports as they emerged in the past week, uh, as we said, it started off with things like Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves. But I remember there was one night where some outlets were reporting on games like Starfield potentially coming to PlayStation Five in line with the release of the confirmed DLC that is coming out in the future. There was then talk about Indiana Jones, again, maybe not day and date, uh, but potentially coming to PlayStation 5 in the future. Something that certain people have speculated about from the very, very beginning because of just the nature of deals uh, like uh, such as that one with companies as large and, as you'd imagine, hoping to at least be as all-encompassing as Lucas. Um, and then uh, we talked about Halo. It then did then get into kind of Xbox classic territories like Gears of War and Halo all being mentioned. Um, and it got, you kind of hit the nail on the head, which is that uh, if you've got sort of a, like recently released IP that maybe didn't like you know launch out of the gates, but they're still you know they reviewed well and there'd be an audience for on other platforms, which I think Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves the tick that box. You know, if you've got upcoming IP or like recently released IP, which Starfield and Indiana Jones tick that box, and then you've got classic, fundamental like Xbox icons like Halo and Gears of War being met. Like at, at some point, you've ticked every box that something that Xbox could theoretically release can tick. And as you said, it basically there's no argument that anyone could make going forward for something that would that like has to exist exclusively on the PlayStation Five. Um, Excuse me, on the Xbox, excuse me. Now, personally, I will just say for anyone wondering, so Phil Spencer has kind of loosely acknowledged this on Twitter. Um, he said that they are going to update fans on, quote, the vision for the future of Xbox next week, along with the, the trademark at this point. Quote, we're listening and we hear you, which, I mean, if you don't, if you don't tell the fans we're listening and you hear them in your statement, have you really made a statement at all? <laughs> um, I don't think he's going to go wholesale, um, and I think that he is going to be very careful to express that this is going to be certain projects going to certain platforms at certain times um, where it financially makes sense to because he wants to protect the Xbox ecosystem. He wants to protect the Xbox community, um, who, as you pointed out earlier, when it came to some of his potentially defeatist comments last year, you know, there were people in that community who were very quick to jump down his throat at that, at that point. I, um, were they def were they defeatist? I kind of just thought they well, they, they, they were that, they I were think, I think, it was being a realist. Like that's that, that's the problem, right? Is like you said earlier, like it's like Microsoft. You don't become a three trillion dollar company by not making the smart move financially speaking. So everything that Microsoft do and Phil Spencer does will be informed by decisions being made by people smarter than those who sit on Twitter with a Master Chief avatar, you know, defending the Xbox brand until they die because. Uh, seemingly they have nothing better to do with their lives that's not uh, it's a judgment-free zone but those people should also try and accumulate some other hobbies where possible um but that is that is the narrative that those individuals and there are a lot of them and they and the way you know social media platforms like x are geared at the moment 
those are the kind of the tweets that are going to kind of pick up steam and we're going to be surfaced for the rest of us. That It does create a narrative that like Xbox is losing. There's no reason to own an Xbox. What does this mean for the hardware market? Why would I own a platform that can play Starfield when I can own a platform that plays Spider-Man 2 and then Starfield later? Like Phil still has to make a, a, a statement that makes those people feel a little bit more secure than they felt for the past week, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely does because he needs to clarify. He needs to let people know what's going on. I think we, we have to remember that any um, anything that they do now is not going to actually have... It's, it's not going to sort of be fully realized immediately. So even if people sort of start swearing off of Xbox, it's not like people are going to start throwing them away. Like you've still got a decent number of people who have Xboxes who are going to be playing those games first on Xbox. As you said, it's not going to be day and date for a lot of titles. You're going to have a period where it's, they're going to be exclusive to Xbox, I'm sure. Um, so I, I don't know. I, 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 you and I, are, are we are not protectionist over any particular gaming platform. Like We are happy yep. to play anything. I know that you've been Xbox and PlayStation like your entire life. I have been mostly PlayStation, but I've also been Nintendo. Um, I, I absolutely love some of like Gears of War, for example. It was I was always um, kind of a little saddened that I could only ever play Gears when I went to mates' houses because I love that series. I thought it was fantastic. So when you start hearing about games like that, but also you know the newer titles that are coming, the idea that they're going to sort of straddle platforms, I think, is fantastic. I'm definitely not someone who's sad about that. Do I think it's it's dangerous for the heart from the hardware side? No, because as as everyone listening probably already knows, I don't think hardware is going to be around too much longer anyway. So the fact well, that um, Xbox yeah. uh, and I think the other systems as well at some point in the next, I don't know, 20 years are going to go, uh, you know, um, just in the cloud or we're not going to have hardware in the way that we have it now. I think that they're, these companies have got to look ahead and they've got to think about that. Um, and, and, you know, and I think if you're already trailing in the hardware market, maybe maybe making moves and making murmurings at this point is not such a bad idea and before you come back though i'm mm -hmm. gonna i need to give a shout out because uh we've had a super chat oh um, lovely and so this is completely off topic what we we're just talking about but um <laughs> uh McNeese said um jonesy if you're looking for a new handle on x you should change your name to smash cut jonesy based on how you end the show every time um because i do you know what though this is not, I don't think this is my fault. This is our streaming software. It just, it ends. We finish, we say goodbye, we say la la, and then I hit stop. And then it filters through to YouTube on the upload side. And then I think it just hard cuts. Um, but yeah, Jamie has a lot of fun with it because he likes to do his little. Oh yeah, I used to, there was a running gag where I would say, and don't forget. And then it would cut. And then it would cut and people were always wondering, what is he going to tell us not to forget? The answer for anyone who didn't figure it out was nothing. Um, but maybe it was. Don't forget that Xbox games are coming to PlayStation and Switch. Maybe that's what it's yeah. going to be. No, I, I see it, Jonesy. I was trying to warn people. I've always considered myself a prior of the Xbox brand, and you know, here I was laying it all out on a platter, um, and people had no idea. I, I, I will ask though, and I, I, like it, it may be just for the sake of simplicity, for the sake of ease of conversation, if we can put sort of like cloud gaming and the theoretical long-term like viability of like the home console market to one side um obviously we talked about this being a decision that comes from one would presume the smartest people in the room or at the very least the people who are paid to be the smartest people in the room and clearly someone's done some maths and drawn some lines and some kind of graph somewhere and said hey look like 
it's great that we have Indiana Jones. It's great that we have Starfield. But if we gave it a year or two of exclusivity and then sold it uh, and then put it out and made it available to however many tens of millions of people own a PlayStation 5 by that point, we estimate that we will make that much additional revenue with that and in the, the long-term damage to the brand or the, the market for Xbox consoles and so on and so forth is this. And that minus that equals that, and that's positive. I, I totally see how that's how you can arrive at something like this. But do you think there's anything strange about the timing in that, like, Microsoft have been on an uh, something of an acquisition? Well, maybe it'd be unfair to call it an acquisition spree. It feels like it because we were talking about ABK for so long and it closed fairly recently. But I just feel like we sat down at that developer direct last week. Not last week, last month. Um, and we all saw Indiana Jones and we all felt like that was um, Xbox the finally almost achieving everything that they'd been moving towards and that they'd like a company or a studio that they had acquired in the form of machine games, uh, you know, an IP or a license that they'd gone out and got the rights to and they'd put two and two together and were making this game that was going to catch the eyes of people who only owned own, only own PlayStations and would have been something that if Indiana Jones was on store shelves in time for Christmas 2024 and reviewed well, PS5 owners would be looking over and r rather than like this time last year when, the, oh, sorry, the, what would be this time last year by the time that game comes out where they were trying to pretend they didn't care about starfield because some people didn't like starfield indie could have been like a genuine system seller that they were going do you know what kind of like in the in the heyday of gears and halo i'm bummed that i can't play that and that could have been one of the first serious times that playstation fans had felt that like is there not an element here of like xbox being on the cusp of forcing playstation players to feel that fomo and then this news breaks. Like, why all the hard work if this was always the plan? Maybe. I I don't know. I don't I don't feel like that exists anymore in the same way. I, and I, I don't think you're wrong in that you're saying that Indiana Jones could have been a game that possibly gave some people that feeling. But I, I think the days of thinking, I really want to play Halo. I really want to play Gears. I really want to play da-da-da-da-da-da. And then on the other side, you know, um, on the PlayStation side, having the same sort of thoughts and then having an ahhing about what system you're going to buy. I feel like those days are kind of behind us. Um, purely because so many games release now. Um, there's all There are so many similar titles. There are so many uh, games as service games. There are so many. It just feels like very, we're, it's not like we're picking and choosing. We're inundated almost. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's it's more of a, you know, you, they can look at titles that do um, that make billions of dollars off the back of you know like a, as a service game, and they're like, look, it's not about pulling a few people over to buy your hardware and making, um, what, what's, the, what's the line from the Social Network? Like it's not you know a hundred million dollars is not cool. Do you know what is cool? You know what's cool? Yeah, like a hundred billion dollars. And in my mind, I'm I can only think of I'm uh, Indiana Jones, bitch. Yeah, like they're they're in my mind. It's like if the if the move is 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 it Blumhouse who have they have this way of making movies whereby they don't think that every single one has to be a big hitter. They just make loads and loads and loads, and if one bangs, they make so much money that they can just do it all over again. It's like they're just they're playing the numbers game. So for me, I'm kind of like, is that what Xbox are going for? Are they just trying to get to a position where they own so many so many um, studios, they can put them out so widely that if any of them bang and go really big they are going to make a fortune whereas if they have to play the game of every console generation we have to try and pull people over and then we're going to manage to get an extra 10 percent is that actually i don't know maybe maybe for them it's just they've realized it's a numbers game and that's how you make the maybe. money maybe 
like we said, like we presume that these people, uh, uh, you know, to reiterate an earlier point, if nothing else, are paid to make smart decisions like this based on forecasts that uh, go far beyond what we're able to make um, in our brains or using the Notepad app on Windows. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like maybe they've looked at the potential pendulum swing that could occur between generations. They've looked at the lead that Sony and PlayStation have in the field at the moment, and yeah, like clearly, no, like they've reached at a point where they've ended up with like two numbers and when they subtracted one from another you know that the plan that ended up being net positive or the plan that resulted in the large numbers the one they're going to push ahead with i do still think that it does raise questions questions that we're probably going to get not get answers for next week about what the long-term plan is um i guess one thing that is still in pretty good stead though going into uh, the remainder of this generation and beyond is game pass i mean you mentioned services continuing to still play a big part of what platforms and uh, you know companies in general are going to push for the benefit of game pass will remain that hey even if indiana jones for example might come to ps5 at some point in the future indiana jones is still not going to cost you 70 dollars or 70 pounds if you're a game pass subscriber and the only place you can be a game pass subscriber is on an xbox platform or pc well, well let me ask you that though Do, can you see a time when there is a game pass available on playstation honestly no but i th actually think that comes down to more of my feelings about um playstation's arrogance like i don't think playstation i don't think playstation want an xbox launcher that you could launch from the natively from the playstation os where you're paying a subscription that again goes directly into microsoft's pr uh, pr uh, po uh, pocket because then the playstation just becomes a vessel for playing Microsoft's products and giving Microsoft money, and I don't think PlayStation are ever interested in that, unless they can, of course, find a way to take money off the top. That is a slightly more complicated process when it comes to software and subscription services. However, that is a tried and tested problem when it comes to physical sales. You know, the, the arrangements of publishing a title on the PlayStation, which is essentially what Microsoft will be doing, you know, that's all out there, and PlayStation will already know how they stand to benefit um, from you know the direct sales of something like a halo on playstation and i also think again maybe it's just me being a little bit too twitter coded in the way i'm thinking about stuff but i also just think there is an element of like i don't think it's going to be quite as dramatic for the xbox brand and i don't think it's going to be its downfall and i think influencers that have basically retired in the last 48 hours because they don't think the xbox brand is worth representing any anymore i think some of those people are going to end up with egg on their face but I do still think there is a little bit of like a culture war win here for PlayStation where like it was the big three for a long time. And this is one of the first times as a result of losing one battle that one of the big three has changed what it theoretically wanted to do. Like it's it's divert. This is not Xbox moving in their ideal situation. They mapped out on, on a 20 year roadmap. This is Xbox, you know, changing lanes in the middle of a generation Yes, because it maybe financially benefits them in the future, but I still think that looks, in terms of the optics, like a win for PlayStation and Nintendo, that they're still there with their arms folded and tens of millions of consoles sold around the world, and Xbox are the ones who are, going, who are sitting there going, our hardware sales were so poor this generation that we've had to change course. And, you know, I don't think that's something that PlayStation will celebrate or gloat about, but there will be absolutely people on PlayStation who, if you like the just the mental image as we described earlier of a Halo game on PlayStation, has them licking their fucking lips and going, "Oh my god!" I 
it's there's a little it's one of these things where i've got no idea how it's going to unfold because there's a part of me which thinks that this could be like the iq 400 move which is that the x the problem xbox have is they're the third largest console they need to somehow shift that and they know and let's say they've done the maths they know that for example you can only shift let's say the maximum you can ever shift that they know is like 10 percent or something like that so no matter what they do they can only shift 10 percent of people in any console generation over to xbox and they're like well even if we shift 10 percent, that's not enough so then like well how do we how do we show those playstation only people or, or switch people who who haven't considered xbox before that actually xbox is the big kid when it comes to studios uh ip ownership etc etc so they say tell you what we do the next going in from now before the next generation we give them access to xbox games and we 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 it's almost like the um it's almost like right the when the wolf's at the door you know there's a wolf at the door and you're like oh my god don't let the wolf in barricade the door because it's going to eat us but what about if the wolf comes dressed as a lovely sheep and and try and offers you lots of lovely lamb and and, and woolly jumpers and so you open the, the door, you open the door you let you let the wolf in and then it use and you start you know feasting of its of its lovely uh, lovely flesh and woolly jumpers and then suddenly it's in it's in the PlayStation house it's in the Nintendo house everyone's excited for for Xbox games and then they start to say you don't have to wait a few months for Xbox games you don't have to pay seventy dollars for xbox games come to xbox and you can get these on game plus game pass the day they release and then is, is it one of them is this a like a is this a weird like stay and switch and then the next generation they managed to drag like 70 percent of the playstation people you know half the nintendo people all to xbox i i do kind of see where you're coming from that they're they're, they're like could there be some weird fucked up world where Xbox titles start showing up on other platforms and are so damn good that by the time the next generation rolls around, there are a group of people out there who own the PlayStation 5 but actually prefer themselves preferring Xbox as either for software. That's it's very insane. possible. Very possible. But they will know that that lineup of Xbox software will continue to come to PlayStation. And I, I, I just think that now more than ever, there are more sort of variables that go into someone's purchasing decision when it comes to consoles than, than just exclusives that's probably the biggest but like ecosystems have never been more important what your friends are doing has never been more important um you know price points release dates half-step consoles all these things that are increasingly becoming like points you know that you know different companies you know, go ahead in different directions are increasing the number of points at which people have decision purchasing decisions to make um and I think I, th I think that's going to be a really difficult pull for Xbox. Like I, I like the idea. I just think it's a slightly charitable, um, uh, a charitable way of looking at it. Um, can I? Can I? Let me ask you another question there, because this is what another thought I had, and I could see happening. Do you see uh, almost like a mini culture war thing happening, where, especially, I'm thinking more with PlayStation, where they are offered the ability to have an Xbox game on the PlayStation and they say no because they're worried that it will let's say there's let's say there's a new Halo that addresses all the problems that Halo Infinite had and Xbox offer it to PlayStation and PlayStation say we don't want your new Halo game because we don't want our audience like think that we don't you know we don't want our audience actually thinking oh wow do you know what Halo's fantastic Xbox are actually not as bad as I thought and then and and rejecting it and then Xbox turning around and saying 
hey playstation guys we tried to we tried to give some of our games to, to playstation but they just they rejected it they said no could have played it i i don't i don't think so again like you, you know you don't have to go back that that far to like i mean literally you only have to go back to prior to the to the abk acquisition to the point where for example the biggest first person shooter on the planet in terms of home consoles was a third party or yeah, was a third party published title and yet like there was never any concern um from xbox or playstation that allowing call of duty onto their platforms would disrupt like like the sorry say for example the potential sales of any first like xbox whenever like we're not going to let activision publish call of duty on our platform because it might hurt, hurt halo sales now i know the added caveat that you're adding into the mix is the potential for people to then go away and buy the console that the rival makes which is obviously something that a company like activision never offered but i i i i, I think generally speaking the way that we've seen companies operate assuming playstation interpret this move as xbox just broadening their horizons and essentially at times functioning as though they are a third-party publisher even though they are technically a first-party publisher um then i i think there'll be as little grounds for kind of like obstructing a game's journey onto the playstation as there has been for just about any other title and i really again like like the, the xbox games have been out there the whole time and they've been selling it the way they've been selling it they've been reviewing the way they've been reviewing it like playstation had direct competition for this entire generation and won I don't think PlayStation are going to get more scared at the prospect of Microsoft t technically admitting defeat on one of the battlefields that they were already fighting on. I've, I've got, I've just thought of something else. I've got one more question for you, if you, if you accept it. Let, yeah, let's do it. Okay, we've, like, as you said, we've just gone through this whole Activision Blizzard King, King thing, where Microsoft had a had a quite difficult time in the end. They're trying to actually go through the purchase because of competition laws, monopolies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Have Microsoft effectively just played an Uno reverse card where they say, we are now a multi-platform company. We can buy anyone we want and there is no chance you won't get this IP on your platform. So you've got no reason to stop us buying <laughs> any other studios. I mean, but like, definitely it helps their argument if they ended up in another conversation around those subjects at the end of the future. Like if they end up going head to head with any of those you know uh, you know monopoly prevention you know i think forget who it was they were particularly the the uk it was the uk one that put up the biggest fight right it, it was um, the, no it was the american one that was the biggest but and i think the reason being and the uk one was was big was because the american one i think had asked uh, the uk one to reject it as well if i remember rightly because they're like they're linked somehow or, or, somehow, or there was something going on with that but i, I believe it was an american fair trading group who were the biggest uh like block who were trying to stop it yeah the ft ftc right was... yeah but then the yeah, and the yeah. uk as, as the uk always do we were kind of following the american lead i think yeah classic uk um but, but i think it would obviously help in that situation where like they they have now have a massive thing that they can point to assuming that this uh, manifests itself in many of the ways that we're imagining uh should they ever end up in that position again um and uh, and it would definitely be interesting to see Xbox fully embrace this idea of essentially being just as much a third-party publisher as they are a first-party console manufacturer and just go ham about buying as many series as they can and owning as many franchises as they can. But there, again, we don't know what's going on here behind the scenes. We'll never know what's going on here behind the scenes. But there are sometimes conversations and people that give away kind of snippets online that make it sound like 
Xbox aren't doing these things for fun. Xbox aren't making these changes for fun, nor are they doing these things because it's what they wanted to do all along, as we you know, as we mentioned earlier. Xbox are doing these things because it's the, financially the most sensible option for them, and it's their best bet going forward. I think whilst you could make the argument that it already looks weird given how close we are to the closing of the ABK deal, I think it's a weird thing when, like, you essentially make a very strange decision or, like, a very unpredictable, a, a, you know, a move that was hard to see coming in the name of um, improving your bottom line and in continuing to spend billions of dollars on acquisitions. Um, it's like, how, like if you if you were that relaxed about how much money you had to burn to begin with, why did you do this? Like, I, I know, I'm not saying it's impossible that someone could, like, simultaneously spend billions of dollars and then while simultaneously making a very odd or unexpected business move all in the name of the bottom line at the same time. Like, the two could go hand in hand. I, I don't know. But, again, it just, it seems odd to me. Um, even, even the way that this week has rolled out, the fact that Xbox have essentially let this conversation fester on social media for the better part of a week or two, and to literally in the last 24, 48 hours, Phil Spencer has said he's going to comment on it next week. And I guarantee even that 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 statement next week that they've probably already got 72 drafts of will be unsatisfactory in, in a number of different ways. Um, certainly for the most passionate and diehard Xbox supporters. And uh, Josie, one thing that they also won't like to hear, those passionate Xbox fans, but you and I were discussing uh, prior to going live, is the, the other sort of thing that maybe works in the benefit of PlayStation, at the very least PlayStation owners in terms of the optics of the situation. I can remember when in around 2014, if I'm not mistaken, 20, no, 2015 in fact, uh, Xbox went out and spent money at the time, allegedly quite big money, securing temporary exclusivity for Rise of the Tomb Raider. Um, and they spent a big chunk of money and they got exclusivity for a year and it didn't really matter and i can remember going to the argos down the road from where we used to work one year later and buying the playstation 4 version of rise of the tomb raider which cost like 10 20 pounds less um than a full price release at the time and was the complete version with every patch that game had received in the previous 12 months and every piece of dlc that had been released in the previous 12 months that's something we're already staring down the barrel of, of Starfield, where that game's been patched a lot, that game's been improved a lot, the game has DLC coming out. Is there a concern here that the version of games, the version of Xbox games, that ends up coming to PlayStation, is the best version of those games imaginable? Yes. Yeah, we're, it, we're, this is the one thing that I, I hadn't thought about, and then I, I saw someone um, say about it, was like, is is the Xbox going to become the beta test unit for the PlayStation 5? And you're just like, oh, that is a, that is a rough uh, framing when you think of it like that. Because, the, yeah, because then it just gets to a horrible situation where you, you if it's an exclusive on a, on a console and you know that it's only for a year, you it doesn't feel the same as, um, as you know, not getting it on the same release day. In some sense, you're almost like, it's okay, I can handle it for a year. I can, I can like, I can wait. I can play something else. I can do whatever. It's fine. And this is the way it works. But yeah, to know that you're getting DLC, uh, like the finished version, all the patches, and you know, you, you can just see that PlayStation players are just going to be like goading Xbox um, purists and saying, "Oh, did you? How did, did you? Did you like that game with all the problems it had? Especially if your games. Like, imagine like a Cyberpunk or something um, was made in the future with all the problems that had, yeah. and it came out like." 
you know much much better like noticeably different on the playstation i think and people would start to sort of um use that as a way to sort of like whip xbox purists and i would feel, i would then feel really bad for them in that sense because it but, th but then that's to me is that most games I, i'm trying to think like it happens a lot and it is big news when it does that a game is subpar etc but then I think most people are still going to be happier to have it earlier. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm fifty. Well, I'm split fifty fifty on that. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the list of games that we've talked about, and like some of them obviously like Indiana Jones we don't know, but Starfield that's probably a game that benefits from that extra year at market. Get, you know, I, so I, most of what's wrong with Starfield though, and what people don't like, is not anything that's going to be improved by a year's worth of patches and DLC. I think I think they could could go some other way there. It's definitely going to sure. be a better better version of the game than it was at launch. One of one that's unequivocal in my opinion, just because of the volume of the content that's been released, Sea of Thieves, that's absolutely a better game now than it is at launch. One that isn't, Hi-Fi Rush. Now, Hi-Fi Rush was obviously a smaller scale game, Shadow Dropped, but it was still critically acclaimed. It was still in the conversation at the you know, yep. towards the end of the year for various game awards and whatnot. Hi-Fi Rush was a bit like, a, not a game that like I would have. I there would be no benefit to waiting a year to play Hi-Fi Rush, and right. I was I was glad I got to play it when I did. So, and I, I think yeah. that's where it's gonna that's where it's gonna get interesting is how many of these games come out in a, it, it, and benefiting from that year or so versus ones that don't. In and I think you'll end generally you'll end up with a divided um, group where the PlayStation players and the Switch players are like, no, um, yeah, oh, this game's so much better that it's got all the times you patched and DLC'd and you have the Xbox people going, I played it a year ago, I finished that. Like, you're also yeah. going to the party. I think people are just going to divide themselves yeah. on those lines. You've, you've, you've also got the other situation, which is that we are, in some cases, talking about historic IPs and franchises with a number of entries with no guarantees about what's going to happen in the future. And, like, how do we know that Microsoft don't turn around and say, hey, PlayStation... Here's Halo, the Master Chief Collection, with you know Halos one through five on it, full campaigns and multiplayer. He's he's hey, even his Halo Infinite. Go away, play that. Everyone, you know, in your millions, let's let's imagine, go get a taste for Halo. And also, we're announcing Halo. I don't know what it's going to call. Let's announcing Halo Seven. Oh, that's that's not coming to PlayStation, right? It's never going to come to. And all of a sudden, you've got millions of people who have just played six halo games on their playstation that have to buy a different console if that because again the other thing about microsoft is like they they can do whatever the fuck they want they can put whatever kind of game they want on the it's playstation the, it's, the wolf. it's the wolf in the sheep's clothing giving so, out the tasty lamb and, and jumpers i told you that's what it, that's what they're doing it's just maybe it could be like a little bit of kind of like get you know you get people hooked on something you get like like when you inject with someone like you go up behind someone on public transport and inject them with heroin without them knowing like you, you get them hooked on it. They don't even know they're hooked on it before you know it. Like, oh, I don't have any heroin. I don't have any heroin next week. You have to go talk to Phil Spencer for the heroin, and then you know, one thing leads to another, and then Phil's got you. Biggest leak ever. Phil Spencer is a dealer. That's what this is really. Uh, hang on. Allegedly, according Allegedly. according to an according to an insider on the platform X, um, and apparently, if you add that little caveat to. Uh, to a quote or a statement, you can get away with basically anything on podcast chat. You just need to say, according to an insider on the platform X, and you can make it whatever whatever rumor you want in the entire history. You could, according to a rumor on X, Jonesy, Sega is looking at this conversation, the this situation very closely, and may be re-entering the console race Ooh. with a, a Dreamcast Two. According to an insider on X, uh, allegedly, according to an insider <laughs> on X. 
yeah you, that, that is true you can get away with whatever you want if you if you add that caveat um it is it is a weird one i i is there a chance i don't think there is but it would be funny if uh phil went the full nintendo and because of all these leaks he just kiboshed the entire thing and decided even though we it was going to happen it's now not going to happen and any of those plans just get completely cancelled and then and the next week he comes out and says no no this is completely unfounded made up anyone you've heard it from is a liar and then it just that would be great the only reason i don't think that's going to happen is because i think you could do that with a tweet and nip it in a bud Phil Spencer to tweet right now and saying this is absolute bullshit like none of this is going to happen instead what he said is we're listening and we hear you and we're going to update fans on our vision for the future of Xbox next week that's the most ominous thing you could possibly say it is it is you're right you could have done it in a tweet like (laughs) if my if my employer they told me they were going to update me on the vision for the future of my employment next week I'd be very nervous about how much longer I was going to be in a job for yeah. Whereas if my, whereas if my manager just sent me a message being like, no, of course you're not losing a job, I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, essentially levels. It's, it's funny because there is a tendency for me to just want to talk about PlayStation when it comes to this because you know it's Xbox and PlayStation. But actually, in the chat, like Classy Cat was just saying that um, you know they've got a Switch uh, and they like playing Halo Two because they like the yeah. the first one. And actually, that's a, such a good point when you're talking about like more classic um, Xbox games. The install base of the Switch is astronomical. We've already talked about the fact that the Switch 2 is probably coming soon or you yep. know, going to be announced soon. It's not going to be on a par with the Xbox or with the PlayStation 5, we are, we're assuming, right? It's going to be better, but not probably not up there. No, and, but it will. It may well sell more. It will, but it will know. sell absolute gangbusters. And actually, yep. if Xbox can have older games um, that run really well on the Switch... Uh, switch to why would yeah why would they not like that for them and it could turn out that actually playstation is effectively they don't really care as much about playstation but getting on switch with some of those older titles is going to be where they want to go no that's you're absolutely right it's a very important distinction you know multi-platform means multi-platform and while i think a lot of people as as i just illustrated are kind of getting caught up in the optics of the playstation impact on all of this because i think that's the almost out-of-body experience that you have when you imagine those two brands crossing over in such a way. Yeah, like the Switch is the perfect use case. Also, like, again, I know that Xbox uh, like have been big supporters of the PC, but usually through their own means of their own ecosystem, like the Windows Store and the Xbox app. But, like, platforms like Steam, if that's, again, a further part, part of the multi-platform plan is to have those games uh, you know, arrive on Steam day one, you know, there's talk of you know Steam Deck successes in the future beyond the OLED model that was released last year, um, and the you know, the increasing market for handheld PC gaming. And if that lines up with what they're doing on the Switch Two and like really well optimized um, you know ports of games that run on hardware like that, then you know that again you're just opening yourself up to a bigger market of, of millions upon millions of people who could be uh, you know could be having access to a library of games that they had never touched before. Um, and a potential value there for someone with a large library of games, past, present, and future, is massive. Um, especially if you are nowhere near as invested as a, as a company like Sony will continue to be on the sales of your own, you know, first-party hardware. Yeah, it's it's, it's big. <laughs> it's damn big, is what it's it is. it's big. It's big. It's fascinating. It's uncertain. And again, as we said, uh, Phil will obviously make his statement next week. and We'll learn a little bit more from the horse's mouth, but I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if that statement itself didn't clear up everything that we've discussed today. 
Um, but it's a big deal, and it's become one of the biggest talking points of, uh, of well, I know it's only February, but one of the biggest talking points around games of the year. So, of course, if you have anything to say about the uh, the conversation in general or to piggyback off anything that we've said, then please do reach out. Again, you know, if you're watching us live, you can do so in the chat. If you want to leave a comment on the YouTube video or reach out on, on Twitter, I'd encourage you to do all of those things. And, of course, this may well be spawning a discussion over on the Discord. And if that was the kind of thing that you would like to get involved with, then you may be interested to hear that access to our Discord server is one of the perks we offer if you become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash forward slash super show. If you head over there, you'll find that there are a number of different tiers that you can support us at, and all of them offer a range of different rewards, whether it's the aforementioned Discord access or things like patron-exclusive videos, patron-exclusive podcasts, and of course, all the patron-exclusive stuff we continue to make in the future. It's all there and available to you. That link, once again, is patreon.com forward slash super show. There are some wonderful folk. You're going to say something, Jonesy. Oh, uh, yes. I was going to... Someone in chat said, and I was like, I actually don't know. I don't know. Are, do we have old ATG6 lists available on the Patreon? Con, uh, on the Patreon? I don't think we have. I, I don't think so. No, there, there are some ATG-related things available on the, on the Super Show Patreon. Like, I believe we have... Uh, unreleased pilots for what, what would have been autumn gaming content back in the day available on the patron i think so far everything that we've um that we've done in the realm of six lists has just been uploaded to the super show channel like there are you know a, a small handful of of, of sixes that we've just made here and there like i think we made three like one christmas is kind of like a bit of a kind of a a, a thank you to some of the community i know that stuff all exists but to put it bluntly a, the control of a, a lot of that sort of back catalogue and determining what we were going to do with it was something that Chris used to focus on quite a lot and um, and I think he's the one of us three that actually has access to or knows how to easily get that stuff so we haven't really figured out what we're going to do with it in a broader sense there, um, um, I'll, have, I'll, have, I'll have a word with Chris and I'll see what the uh, what the crack is and whether we can get some six lists put onto the patron um, but anyway yeah. I, yeah I digress I distracted you from your Hey, no, no, no! You, 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 it's all part of the pitch. I mean, watch the space. I guess that could be another uh, Patreon perk coming in the future. Um, until then, though, I would like to acknowledge some fine folk that have already gone over to patreon.com forward slash Super Show and shown their support. There are some names of those people on screen right now, but I would also like to give a special shout out to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdal Nielsen. Pastors Guild, and of course, the members of the board, Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Bookread, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Jones, you remember earlier when I was talking about the smartest people in the room? All those names that I just said out loud and the names that were shown on screen, they're the real smartest people in the room because they helped us continue making this podcast. They do indeed. Right, um, I would throw over to you to ask what you've been up to, to ask for your week in multimedia across the last seven days, but I have it on good authority. A little birdie told me that um, for your sins, you have basically done nothing, Mr. Jones. How bloody day. I know. I, I, you know I'm waiting for a couple of things to come out, um, and I would like to have a little go. So, like, Foam Stars, I'll have a go just because it's free, even though it's sure. probably going to be yeah. terrible. Um, I might get my hands on Helldivers. Uh, as well in a couple of days but yeah no i've i've been doing little i, I tell you what i will do before next week 
Yes. Partly only because I've heard it's terrible, but um, uh, Marvels is coming to Disney today, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So I'll I'll check that out, and then um, hopefully there's some weird ass scenes like polar bears. Eating oh. People. So. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We we need we need to run back the what the fuck was that movie called? It's not Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. That was it. Yeah. We need to run back that discourse. Um, iconic, legendary. Um, well, I've got a couple of things that um, I, I wanted to just quickly mention. Uh, one of which um, I was asking you and Chris about it earlier, but you uh, you both read and failed to reply. So thank you for that. Um, and that is, of course, oh, sorry. no, it's fine. I'm teasing. Um, Naughty Dog. Um, just a week or two after the release of The Last of Us Part Two Remastered, have now released Grounded Two, the documentary about the making of The Last of Us Part Two. So that's now available on YouTube, and also if you own Last of Us Part Two Remastered, you will have received a patch, which means that documentary is now in the game. Um, I own that game, but I also just watched it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, why? Why it's not? just more convenient. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout out because I, I, I don't know, it feels like the last couple of years we've kind of been a, on a bit of a roll in terms of acknowledging some of the the movements that have been made, positive movements that have been made towards the you know, the broader documentation of. The process of creating a video game, whether it's in you know sort of feature late documentaries like this one and the previous efforts from Sony, whether it's at Naughty Dog or or, or of course Santa Monica with the uh, their you know God of raising Kratos and their coverage of God of War, um, but then of course I, I feel like I can never go that long without mentioning uh, Psychodicy, which I think is still yes it, it's long and yes it's arduous and yes it's a commitment in terms of how much content there is there, but I still think it's the single most fascinating and um, insightful and engaging and emotional insight into the create like the process of creating almost anything, let alone a video game. Yeah. Um, and so, any opportunity I get to recommend people watch that, I'll take. I will say that Grounded Two, unsurprisingly, given the fact that it's a fraction of the length um, and has a fraction amount of the time to work with, isn't quite as poignant as uh, Psychodicy. And a fact I'd say is maybe one of the slightly weaker um, of the documentaries that have been released recently. I, I I feel like its weaknesses stem from the fact that I'm not sure if it was intentional or a weird sort of like side effect of the slightly convoluted process that the production went through, where they obviously had to shut down for COVID and, you know, the footage is essentially being, you know, I think they said unearthed or un, like whatever the word they used in the trailer, however many years after the fact and put together now. As a result, it does feel a little bit staccato, um, almost like a, a series of vignettes. Like there are these sort of, title cards that appear to kind of like highlight which part of the last of us two journey we're on but they appear every 10 to 15 minutes and you almost get these kind of like little chunks that are all very interesting and engaging and insightful in their own way and obviously all play out in chronological order relative to the development of the game and so it, it, it's fine but it stops there being that many kind of like through lines and emotional arcs like there's only a handful of characters um who really are kind of like that, that like there's two that come to mind who are kind of present throughout and only one of those two who kind of goes on a journey within the company in terms of how they progress and how their skill set evolves and the jobs and the positions they have and their role within the project changes it needed more of that um but i will say it is definitely a must watch for anyone who is fascinated in just the triple a video game production process like seeing games at various stages seeing how like what it looks like to be in a meeting when like you know an, an early build of a demo is being looked at and the kind of things they pick out and the timelines they give themselves and how long 
Um, things inevitably take relative to how long they hoped things would take, and there's still so many little fasc fascinating tidbits along those lines that it's still an absolute must-watch for anyone who just wants to see more of how the sausage is made, uh, given it's a sausage that we still, for as many of them as we eat, we still don't know that much about, you know, what goes on inside the, that, that <laughs> sausage skin, right? So Yeah, it's very so true. The more documentaries, the better. Absolutely. Um, so what's funny is you say, I'm, I, I really want to see this documentary. I haven't seen Grounded, uh, the, the first part yet, or the right. first one. Um, but I would love to see a documentary like that about a really bad game as well. Just to see oh, yeah. how similar, how the same, to kind of get a feel. Because I've, well, I've, I loved Psych Odyssey. Like, as you say, the threads that go through that, the characters you can follow, all of the making was fantastic and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, no, def definitely want to watch. But I've got a feeling that someone at Naughty Dog would want to punch me if they heard me say this. But sometimes the vibe I get watching a documentary like Grounded 2 is that the difference between the documentary covering the development of The Last of Us Part 2 and, the, and a documentary covering the development of a bad game is that in the scene in the scene which obviously we don't see or the many scenes in which someone at Naughty Dog, you know, whether it's Neil Druckmann or Evan Wells or whatever he's called, like the president is called, goes to Sony and says, we need more time and more money. And Sony says, yes, the company that you work, the company that says no, that's where, that's where the bad game gets made. Like it's like right. all game, all games are bad if you don't have the freedom and the time and the budget and the people to make them. That's but so, like yeah, when, very true. When, you, when, when you're Naughty Dog and you're, a and you're published by PlayStation and you're making a sequel to one of the most beloved games of all time, you don't run out of time, you don't run out of money and you don't run out of people and you don't run out of talent. And so I sometimes I feel like that's the difference. Like there are still points in this documentary where, you know, they're trying to get the, um, what ended up being the E3 2018 demo ready and they're like sat down to watch it three weeks out and the demo starts and D Dina's jaw is three feet lower than it should be and she's <laughs> clipping all over the place and like the room is filled with a mixture of like laughter and people going oh shit or like yeah or the moment where like the you know the, they have to get like a, a polished uh, basically representative of final product demo working for the first time and the person who one of the art directors who's been working on the lighting for the whole the whole like for years up to this point has reached a like a fork in the road where they're not sure any of the work they've done up to that point is going to work because they don't like how it looks and because there's like and they they had to go back to the programmers and work these hacks around where they were bringing in more lighting from the sun and like all and like all these kind of weird like the, every sort of painful scenario we've imagined a game developer being them being in is still present all the way up until the tippity top but there is an element when again and I hope, I hope they don't mind me saying this but when you are a naughty dog again you can focus test the shit out of your product you can pour money into all the things that need money i'm not suggesting they've got infinite money or infinite time naughty dog still need to divert still need to deliver a product and they still need to deliver the right product and a good get and they've done that every time of asking up to this point so fair play to them they are a, a collection of the most talented people in the entire industry you know let alone the entire world um and so all the props to them but you know this is there there is a cleanliness to this uh to this documentary that like psych Odyssey was made by was made by a production company that the double fight own yes mm -hmm. that like but you never got the sense that there was like other than a few meetings that tim schaefer didn't want the camera crew in for you never got the sense that anyone at double fine was hiding anything even when people start hating each other and stabbing like talking behind each other's backs like 
the that was the the reality of making a game and that was present here grounded two tugs at those strings occasionally when there are maybe some issues with decisions that authority within the company have made or whatever the case may be but overall the, the message is still naughty dog and magic and we make magical things you know even even against the odds oh and by the way the final 10 to 15 minutes of the um of the of the uh uh of the documentary are committed to going over how naughty dog has improved its ways going over how naughty dog doesn't crunch anymore right. going over how naughty dog has more people in sort of senior positions to have a like a more concrete and better run management structure and teasing the existence of the last of us part three and when the last 10 minutes of that documentary consist of those bullet points it does start to feel like a little bit of a pr exercise um but it's still very very good and worth watching it's and hey the last of us part three kind of yes it's so interesting to me because i know what an absolute nightmare the company i work for at the moment getting anything through like the legal but for you know putting anything out there um they get so funny about so much stuff i wonder if there was a port by a point at which naughty dogs legal team are just like no you just can't show that and and how much yeah. of the documentary got clipped because they were like we don't want we don't want investors to see that we don't want playstation ones to see that we you wonder you know it is it is super interesting uh, they don't present themselves as purely flawless like there is a point early on where they go to a meeting where they want to try and do um they're finishing uh uncharted the lost legacy and getting uh, up to speed on uh, The Last of Us Part Two at the same time. And there's a point where they go to a meeting and they're saying, hey, we're, we're finishing development on Lost Legacy and getting it, and doing a trailer for Uncharted, uh, uh, for The Last of Us. And they're both happening at the same time. Cool. And then they, like, two days later, there's another meeting where the president of Naughty Dog is sat at the head of a table saying, yeah, we had a meeting the other day where we said we were going to do both these things at the same time. It's become clear that that was an irresponsible decision on our part. We, we apologize. We're pushing back the trailer and we're just fi focusing on finishing the Lost Legacy. Like, that's filmed. That's in the documentary. There's also a really interesting scene where the people who are responsible for taking a lot of the footage that's shot during uh, performance capture and, like, cutting scenes up based on what's actually filmed in live action before it's then, you know, animated, essentially to work on sort of the cinematography and the editing and the pacing of these scenes before they are handed over to artists and animators and what have you. Um, they have they've reached a point where they've done a load of work and the only thing they're missing, and stop me if this sounds familiar, is we just need Neil to come and see this and say, yes, it's okay. Like, all the only missing ingredient right now is Neil's time. And there's a point where three of them are sat in a meeting room They've got everything ready to go, and they're just waiting for Neil. And there's a knock at the door, and it's a guy coming in to tell them that Neil's having to cancel, and can they do it tomorrow? And they literally go, "This is exactly what we're talking about." And it's jovial, and the people, right. and I guess what in grounded to the um the the, the you know the, doc, the 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 scene ends there, and you move on to the next scene. In Psychodicy, those people are then taken into another room, asked how they feel, and start breaking down in tears. You know, like yeah. that's the that's the difference. And then you see shots of Tim Schafer going like in his office, not coming out, telling, saying he can't be disturbed because he's so he's got loads of important writing to do. Yes, and yeah, you get a little bit more of the flavor of like this is this is doing us in, and we need yes. to end this. But so, which is funny because then we can assume that behind this behind the the scenes that we don't see in the documentary for like Grounded Two, but. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um. But yeah, it's it's on YouTube. It's free. Uh. So just yeah, I recommend it to anyone. Um. I did something else though, Jonesy, and I, 
I did something naughty, but in my defense, I did something naughty because I thought you were going to do it. And I thought it'd be funny if we both <laughs> ended up doing it. Oh, c- the only thing I kept... No, because I was going to say, I, I did you get Suicide Squad? Yeah. No, you did I was tempted. I was so tempted. But then I was just like, do you know what? I must admit, what happened with that was I looked at the price tag and I was like, I, I just can't. I can't tame punt like that. And then I, I said, I said the exact same thing, and then two hours later, I bought it. <laughs> okay. Um, so we could be here now for the next hour and a half just talking about your. We, look, we we do, we don't need to be here for the next hour and a half because I think a lot of the conversations we've had in recent weeks, especially with regards to our feelings around that um, closed alpha we played at the end of last year, so much of that holds true. Okay. So much, and so and so much of what I think a lot of critics and influencers and so on and so forth have said holds water as well to the kind of the experience I'm having. I like, but then at the same time, like, may and maybe this is me doing what I accuse some people of doing last time and kind of having a bit of Stockholm syndrome because I paid for it. Um, but I'm having fun. Like, I'm. Have um, you finished? Have you finished the story? Are you still? Are you? Uh... No, no, no. I, I, I guess I guess I'm probably about halfway relative okay. to how long people said the story is, um, and I'm going to start mainlining the story because I'm finding the side content to be underwhelming, and I'm already seeing sort of mission archetypes repeating themselves and so on right. and so forth. Um, I'm not particularly infatuated with the the loot system, like the open world is, and and the kind of the the repetitiveness of fights, essentially all bleeding into one long. Um, jump from rooftop to rooftop, shooting purple things, exchange. Like a lot, you know, we've all heard it before. We've all seen it all over social media and yeah. reviews over the past week. But at the same time, like there was a part of me that had a morbid curiosity that I couldn't shake, and I spent too much money, admittedly, the money that I shouldn't have spent, dealing with that morbid curiosity. That's my cross to bear. I put my hands up. I'm not proud of myself. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad I did it because I'm getting something out of my system now. I'm playing this game. I'm not actually having a terrible time. I'm gonna finish it, and like, I'm. I some part of me for some reason just feels like more leveled out as a result of that. Okay. Yeah. No. No. That's, I know what you mean. Like, it, it. It. To. To be able to put an experience to like something you assume is is, with gaming especially, is kind of important. And and it's frustrating when you when you can't and when you don't know and when it's an unknown. Um, yeah. Do you want to, I tell you what's weird is the the, the uh, something that we i think i invoked of um, a couple of weeks ago about suicide squad and about how uh the purple people and you've just reminded me because you said about the purple people made me think of like like power rangers and it made me think about how goddamn cool an open world power rangers game would be if they were if they had it like oh as in the series where and occasionally you would grow massive and be able to have these epic fights with other massive things and then shrink back down again to the sort of world that they've created in metropolis which is quite a cool world like i like the world that suicide squad have made but yeah i was like maybe someone needs to do that as a um multiplayer always online game do you know what? i'm not i'm not a power rangers guy but i'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are imagining what of their favorite franchise or ip or tv show whatever it was got Let's call it the Suicide Squad treatment, but obviously allow a bit of breathing room for it to be a fundamentally better game at the end. And I'm sure, yeah, like there are people out there who like wish that was applied to anything other than the Suicide Squad, which I'm sure felt like a fresh idea back in 2015. But two movies later, you know, Not we so. all know a hell of a lot more about Harley Quinn than we did a decade ago. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, yes, but yeah, yeah. And I'm also I'm seeing more cutscenes and like again. All the all the positives that you like uh, have been shared by most people. Um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll echo as well. I'm seeing more of them than I felt like I saw in the alpha. In terms of writing that has actually on occasion made me laugh and you know performance capture and facial animations, all that kind of stuff. There's plenty to praise there, but all the negatives are, are well documented by this point and I'm not going to make a uh, take a stance on any of them, to be honest. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't have fun with that game if you feel like you might, um, you know, watch some streams, watch some reviews, see how you feel. And that's probably going to be a fair reflection of what it would be like if you were playing it with a controller in your hands. Nice. Fair. Um, yeah, I, I am surprised. <laughs> but and I'm a bit, Me too. I'm a bit jealous. But, um, uh, hey, well... If you win the lottery between like <laughs> anytime soon, then there's a there's a multiplayer opening with your name on it, Jonesy. Just uh, just send me an invite. I will. I'll keep that in mind. Um, before we move yeah. on, I want to give another shout out to somebody because we've had another super chat. This is coming in from Rodrigo, uh, who said he didn't see the notification when we went live, but says hey guys because he's here now. So thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you very much for your super chat. Much thank you very much. And shout out to you, Rodrigo. Good to see you, buddy. Um, and just in time because. We uh, can now move on to the second half of the podcast, the second big news story for the week, and that is, of course, recapping the PlayStation State of Play, the first of 2024 that took place last week. Obviously, in last week's episode of the podcast, we had a little bit of a, a preamble, a bit of chatter about what we expected to see, and I suppose it was a little bit disappointing, Josie, to sit down to that uh, live stream on the night and see that, surprise, surprise, the confirmed rumours weren't rumors whatsoever that they, they were just to a certain extent we uh already knew more or less the exact lineup of the state of play with a few additional surprises here and there but obviously we have now seen these games and seen these trailers and learned some new release dates so how about we uh dive into things um that is a pun because the first game we saw was Helldivers 2 which is right around the corner um that's coming out in uh, two days at the time of recording February 8th um and, you know, it, the round of previews dropped inside the last week for that game. They were all pretty positive. A lot of outlets sounded like they were having a lot of fun with that game. A lot of the kind of the multiplayer or, or, or co-op, I should specify, mayhem and carnage and sort of like, uh, you know, act, like team killing and friendly fire and all the, everything that kind of made the first Helldivers Helldivers seems to have um, uh, arrived in the sequel unscathed. Um, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to pick it up, but I'm... I'm, ex I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how this goes. Yeah, I, I'm. It, this was less obviously of a of a of anything that special in the showcase, but it was more like uh, just reminding you to not forget to uh, put your orders in because it was coming out so soon. Uh, but I think Hell yeah, yeah, Helldivers yeah. Two looks uh, fantastic. Like it's something that I didn't think I'd be into, but I definitely think I am, and and I'm strongly considering getting this um, on release. So hopefully, hopefully next week I have more to talk about. Well, that would be cool. The, the only thing, and like maybe there are going to be people who are going to be rightly telling me, well, maybe if you hadn't bought Suicide Squad, you could have bought <laughs> Helldivers 2, you fucking idiot. But like, there is an element of it where it's like, I don't know what Helldivers 2 is going to be like as a solo experience. And part of me wishes that not only I was extremely rich, but I also had three extremely rich PS5 owning friends. And we could all, we could, none of us had jobs or responsibilities or children or wives. And we could all just say, hey, Helldivers 2 night on February 8th. We'd all go, yeah, sounds good. And we'd just have a blast, but I don't know if I bought that game, if, I, if I'd ever be able to sync up with someone. Like, you and I, if we both bought a day of release, we'd probably squeeze a couple of sessions in, but, like, is I, it worth it for that week of fun? I feel like I'm at the point now where I need to just jump into matchmaking, get my microphone turned yeah. on, and just say to some random French kid, like, come on, kid, 
it's me and you and, and then a German and an Italian hop in and as well. And I'm like, all of you have to speak English because I can't speak any of your languages. And then we uh, go ham on um, I'm some hell ivory goodness. I did sound a bit like the setup for a joke. Alex, <laughs> German, an Italian and a German walk into a bar and start playing Helldivers too. But yes, I, I know what you mean. And like, hey, I, I, I'm looking forward to next week's episode of the podcast. No pressure, but if you, uh, you know, if you do uh, get your hands on Helldivers too, very interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, but we then moved on to what is ending up being one of uh, Sony's other big plays uh, for the first half of the year in terms of um like i guess first party and or exclusive output and that is stellar blade we got a release date for that april 26th as one of those as well as one of the longer and more in-depth looks at the kind of the moment to moment gameplay the world um how did you feel about what they were putting down um and now that this game's kind of taking shape a little bit more and feels more real i want to i want to want to play like stellar blade i because i feel like it, they did make a really big thing about it and they covered it for a long time they spent a lot of their real estate the show big talking chunk. about stellar blade and um, it was interesting because i think i didn't start watching the show until like 20 minutes after it started and one of the first uh things stellar blade related i had was a message from chris saying like wow stellar blade looks so ps4 and i was like oh that's that's it yeah. that's an interesting take but then um i, I don't necessarily agree with him wholeheartedly i know what he means and i would say it looked to me more like a final fantasy 7 remake crossed with um uh neo automata which neo automata i was getting some vibes for as well yeah which, uh which isn't there i mean blimey to, to say it looks like those two games is not a negative at all um yeah i'm just not sure i don't know i'm just not sure like there's a there's you look at and i'm really not really sure about that i'd be able to I'd be able to appreciate it fully. I'm sure there are people out there that are absolutely going to love this. Um, it's a bit sexier than I was anticipating. There's a lot of jiggly asses yeah. and jiggly, jiggly boobies, which I was. Uh, I, think there's an, I, think there's, I think there's an upskirt image that's kind of doing the rounds on social media, if right. I'm not mistaken. It's like, you know how Bayonetta was always kind of like, it was always. Uh, people said that. They said, oh, blimey, Bayonetta. Yeah, she, she sort of. Uh, she wears some interesting outfits, but this was also with like the camera angles and the camera shots, and I was like, okay, they're going for that angle as well. Like, fair enough, they're trying to pull in that that crowd too. But um, yeah. I th there's definitely something there that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. I'm just not sure that it's that I'm one of those people, so maybe I'll um, be yeah, stick with her. Like, I, I hope it's cool. Uh, uh, like, I, I get what Chris you know meant with that. Like, in the sense that like Celebrate kind of has some. It's it's, le it's less that it looks like a PS4 game for me, and more that there's some like PS4 game energy, perhaps in terms of some of its like linearity, but also kind of what feels like a slightly old hand approach to some of the writing and the way it's been localized, and especially some of the voice acting. Like, and this is going to sound really harsh, but there are certain tones of voice that I associate with kind of like uh, dubs or localizations from Japanese into English that yeah. just don't work very well with my ears. And the problem is, is like I, I'd love to compare this more to something like Nier Automata, but Nier Automata, anyone who played that game will, will be able to vouch for the fact that in terms of its actual narrative chops, it was far more um, elaborate and ambitious and engaging than, 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 you know, that it might have appeared at first blush. And I don't know that I got that vibe from Scylla Blade in terms of its world or, or any of its characters or any of its story hooks. I hope that they're more engaging when you're kind of um, experiencing them firsthand, but I don't know. The combat also, like, it looks very shiny and very polished, and, and like, it, there are some components of the game that do look 
um, you know, encouragingly next gen, I guess, for want of a better way of putting it. But it didn't have, like you mentioned Bayonetta, it didn't have the sort of like the fluidity or the dynamic elements that you expect something like a Bayonetta or like a, a Platinum game, for example, to have. But nor did it really have the kind of like the slow kind of stoicism of or something that's more like, you know, um, inspired by a From Software title. It looked like it existed somewhere between the two where it was a little bit stiff and a little bit like methodical, but it was also still quite flashy and dynamic when things did play out and, you know, the action really got turned up to to 11 and that's where maybe some of the more platinum-y elements kind of crept in. Um, it's it's too early to write it off. I'm just not convinced. Um, yeah, I guess at the moment. I, th I think me and you are in a pretty... We're in a, it sounds like we're in a pretty um, similar similar space because it, it's, it's yeah. one of those where... You, I can absolutely uh, imagine that it comes out and that there's so much goodwill about it and people are, are talking about how phenomenal it is. But at the same time, I can imagine it coming out and people just kind of going, oh, yeah, they tried to do something here that didn't quite hit, um, which I, I don't know which one is going to be. I'm so, I'm so like down the middle on the fence. At the right. Moment, which, yeah, and like, and, yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and the PlayStation kind of like, not that it's ever necessarily been like the PlayStation seal of approval, like the Nintendo certificate or anything like that, but but like, like that being an element, it doesn't really lend any water in this particular case because, like, shift up. I think they're called. Am I look? They're like I think that they're a Korean developer, but I, this is the first game they've ever made. Um, and like like yes, Sony have like picked it up for like uh, for 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 marketing and publishing, but it's very. Uh, it's it's hard to kind of like lean into it in the same way that we might have lent into some other PlayStation exclusives in recent years and kind of looked at their track record and said, oh, well, it's going to be good because it's one of those. It doesn't feel like it falls quite into that category, which, you know, that's dangerous thinking anyway. It's a slippery slope, but um, we all, you know, we all played Days Gone. We've all been burnt once before. <laughs> um, I'm, some people really like Days Gone, so probably if you're offended by that joke, but it was a 6 out of 10. Um you like a 6 out of 10, you think it's a 9 out of 10, that's fine. It doesn't mean it's not a 6. Anyway, um, Dozy, then we got um, a couple of kind of, uh, well, uh, some some announcements, but also a couple of like reminders of other things that are happening and a couple of ports and some deals. I was going to rattle off a few of these. I wasn't sure if any of them you wanted to kind of like pick up for wider conversation, but we saw the next entry in um, the Sonic series in the form of Sonic X Shadow Generations, which I think is kind of like, a reworking or a reimagining of Sonic Generations, but now with with Shadow on the scene. On the it's case. got some extra extra content in there, hasn't it, for Shadow? But it's also uh, yeah, a remaster of, of some older Sonic titles, which are Sean Sonic yeah. Generations. Yeah, I mean, f yeah, fine. It's not. I, I I missed this entire era of Sonic. I wasn't. I was more a uh, Mario at that time. So it's. Um, anytime they bring out something Sonic related, I'm like, yeah, great for the Sonic people. Yeah. Enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I feel the same way. There are Sonic fans out there, and I'm glad they continue to eat. Um, yeah. Because that, Lord knows they've been patient for a long time. 2006 was a dark time for them. They come out unscathed. Sonic isn't holding guns or kissing women anymore. Um, um, but talking about shooting guns and kissing women, Jersey, I don't really know that you're actually going to do any of those two things in a traditional sense, but you're going to come mighty close in Foam Stars, which, uh, as we said, drops as a PlayStation Plus title today. Um, and I remember when this was doing the rounds at uh, Summer Game Fest last year, uh, some people played this game behind closed doors and said they're more fun than they thought they would. 
I, that's but surely a game like Foam Stars, if you're not having fun, like that's the only thing they need to do. It's like the, the only thing a game like this needs to achieve is to just be fun. And to not do that would be a damning indictment of, of the type of game this is. I, I think it's almost not a selling point to say it's fun. The, the problem with a game like Foam Stars, not the problem, I haven't even played it, but the staying power is, is the real thing. Is like, is it going to be a Splatoon? Is it going to have enough people coming back time and time again, like really you know, wanting to get stuck in enjoying this? Or is it going to be a, oh yeah, I played that for a couple of hours. That was fun. We, we you and I did um, that with, yeah. with the, the what was that the one where you were driving around the cars, the, the oh, uh the the PlayStation Five launch game yes like, uh there was gonna be sold at one point and thank God it was free to play uh, we played that no, for like an hour and we're like down. yeah destruction destruction all stars destruction all stars and I remember both of us playing that together we were like oh yeah this is pretty fun but then it was like are you ever gonna play it again I think we both were like no. Why would we play it again? It was it's, it's it's that thing of it's like a game fun doesn't necessarily mean it's it's gonna it's gonna have any longevity. So um, yeah, I, but yeah, Foam Stars looks fine. I'll hey, I'll download it. I'll play that. I'll tr I'll try and see how much fun there is to play. I think when you've got games like that, is it to to end up with a Rocket League is damn hard to do. To end up with even like a you know a Splatoon is hard to do. And I think with um, uh, I think Foam Stars has has got a lot to do to um get in the same sort of league yeah as those sorts of games no i i agree like i think foam stars probably has a bit of an uphill battle one game that might seem like it has an uphill battle until we find out a year or two from now that we are horrifically misinformed and it is one of the most played games on the planet is zenless zone zero zzz the game that you might have seen in various keely shows across the years which is now uh confirmed for a ps5 release this year this is, of course, another uh, Hoyoverse uh, joint, which means it you know comes from the same places, um, the Honkai games like Honkai Star Rail and the massive Genshin Impact, which uh, I guess ties nicely, Josie, to what I was saying in that like we don't need to play Endless Zone Zero, we don't even need to know Endless Zone Zero exists, but millions upon millions of millions of people will be playing it somewhere in the world. And millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars will be generated by those people doing so, whether we whether we know about it or not. Yeah, I I, tr I tried to play uh, Genshin Impact, and I for about two hours I thought, blimey, this game's incredible for a free, free to play. I thought I'm I might actually play a lot of this, and then I just didn't. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm, like I've not got much to say about it. Zen yeah. Zone Zero, that is not not Genshin Impact. No, that's fair enough. You might have a little bit more though to say about uh, Dave the Diver finally arriving on the playstation 5 because i know you've been playing the pc version of that in in recent weeks and months yeah um and it's not just arriving um with a whimper um because they also announced a crossover uh following the one that they did with dredge yeah. now with godzilla which is uh kind of cool yeah man dave the dive is such a fun game like i'm still playing that like on and off um and and i think the the i, did, I didn't play dredge but like that crossover i, I love the idea of that i love the concept of of that and then and the fact that like Dave the Diver keep bringing out these fun little tie-ins with other IPs and yeah to have Godzilla in there I think is great fun as well um yeah like it's such a straight Dave the Diver is such a weird game like it's <laughs> the, the way that it just unravel it like, unravels I think is the right word because it's starting mm -hmm. it's we're always used to like mechanics being introduced slowly over the course of a game but the Dave the Diver like slaps you around the face with a wet fish with a number of different mechanics and you think oh it's done with the mechanics now and it just keeps going and then yep. and they get weird and they get different yep. and the little characters are just arrive in boats to tell you to go and do something else is 
Straight yeah, and the, and then, and the narrative goes along with it. Totally. Like where like if you told someone Dave the Diver was a game about fishing the fishing during the day to make sushi during the night, <laughs> you would be right for about three hours. Um, yes. And then it, <laughs> and it becomes so much more and then you're incredibly like, quickly. Oh, okay, but yeah, no. So I, I think any any stuff that Dave the Diver adds in, I think is fun, and I, I'm I look forward to playing. Yeah, another game though that saw big success over on the PC and is now arriving on the PS5, although without a Godzilla tie-in for shame, is V Rising, a game that um, I played a couple of times with our old pal Steph Murphy back in the day, and never got to any of the cool shit that they always put in these trailers. It's a bit like Ark Survival. House World, building where, and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, no, I built some houses. It's more just about like some of the powers and some of the abilities. Oh, okay. Like, I was going to say, it's the Ark Survival Evolved effect, where I'd watch a trailer and go like, why is he riding a pterodactyl with a minigun <laughs> when I was eating my own poop for sustenance? Like, he explains this to me. pooping in, and, and made a pair of socks and felt like, yeah. how how do I get from, from or whatever he was, how do I get from trousers made of crappy linen and pooping to a pterodactyl? Um, yeah, like, v, this, I'd watched, like, playthroughs, playthroughs of V Rising on PC and thought, like, what this game looks really cool. Like, I would like to play this. I'd like to experience it. But at the same time, I think I have the same thing as you. Just seeing what a lot of people do toward like the latter part of that game and thinking, I know I'm never going to be with it enough to ever get to anything. I'm just going to be the vampire hiding behind the tree, jumping out and eating the odd person and then just getting killed. So I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll bother, but it looks, I think it looks great. I like the look of yeah. Rising. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's one of those ones where like it's coming over to PS5 now, but I'd be, it'd be really cool to see that added to PlayStation Plus or maybe the PlayStation Plus catalog at some point. Yeah. Um, which is my coded way of saying I'd like to play that game on the phone for a knob. But luckily, Jonesy, there are plenty of things you can play out there uh, for, for free if you'd like to. And one such piece of software that we can add to that list is Silent Hill The Short Message, which... Um, so stop me if you've heard this before, Jonesy. But you know there's a video game publisher called Konami? I've heard of them. Right, so Konami own uh, the, the rights to a horror IP called Silent Hill. It's an absolute classic, right? Goes back generations. Some people think that some of the PS2 entries in the Silent Hill franchise, particularly Silent Hill 2 and 3, are some of the most important video games ever made, let alone horror or survival horror video games ever made. Okay? So, Konami had this idea, right, when uh, they, they were going to reboot Silent and, and and bring back Silent Hill. And they thought, what better way to um to 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 generate interest and to ge generate hype for our reboot of Silent Hill for the grand return of Silent Hill would be to, like we could shadow drop a a demo like a, you could almost call it like a playable teaser in a weird way <laughs> and, uh, if if you felt so inclined um that even though it's unclear if it's exactly the same universe or the same characters even the perspective has changed because this demo is like first person whereas the game might not be and we would drop it for free and people would be curious as to how it tied in to the Silent Hill uh, like universe or the future Silent Hill projects, but they would download it and they would get scared and there would be you know, lots of uh, deeper meanings to it, lots of layers of mystery and the community would have to band together to figure out everything that was going on. Um, and then they fell out with the developer of the game, they cancelled the reboot, they pulled that into playable teaser off the store and... A decade later, they'd just done it all over again. Yeah. 
I actually had a conversation with someone at work and I was telling them all the cool stuff that had been announced. And the very first thing they said to me before, and I, and I did not give as full a description as you did, and they went, ah, that sounds like PT. And I said, funny you should say that. It's exactly can, like PT. Can, Ar can Army have for a second time in in the, the, the space of a decade tried to promote the return of Silent Hill with the release of a free playable piece of software set in the Silent Hill universe adjacent to the forthcoming games that it, that is, it is ostensibly promoting. Um, it is a fascinating and bizarre PR move that um, has resulted in the game that I can't tell if it's good or if it's bad because I've seen some people on Twitter tell me it's good and some people on Twitter tell me it's bad. And to be quite frank, I am far too scared to find out for myself. I am as well. Like I, I looked at that and I was like, there's no way I'm playing this. Although I will say... Uh, anyone out there, just you might as well download it, keep it installed because it could be a money spinner for you in a couple of years. Um, yes. So yeah, do that. Uh, no, but hey, I, I thought I thought this looked actually looked really good. Like it looked terrifying. Um, so it obviously looked like PT, but it also to me looked a lot like um, uh, what was it? What was the one that, from Crimson Games that the the uh, oh my goodness? Oh, you played on the stream. I uh, did. Um, which was was it the one that was banned in a number of different? Yeah, places. it was a Taiwanese developer the, set in Taiwan in yeah. the eighties, and it had some stuff in there which was insulting to the Chinese uh, leader. So they it got it got pulled and banned or whatever. It was really hard to get get hold of. Detention. And, sorry. Detention. Detention. Or devotion, de de devotion. No, is it devotion? Something like that. Devotion. That sounds right. Devotion. I've got it on my desktop. I could probably just look it up. Oh, but I'm, um, I might click on something by accident and ruin my stream, so I'm not going to. Um, no, devotion sounds right. Um, but yeah, the way that it was, it felt very devotion, and I actually really liked devotion. But I made myself play it because I, I wanted to, I wanted to be part of that, and I wanted to experience it. But oh my goodness, I I struggled because of the scary shit. And this looked exactly down that sort of vein, you know, with the, and the PT way of like, you turn around and something happens and you turn back around and things have changed. And then there's horrible, weird arms and legs, women coming at you through doorways and you, oh, it's, I, it look, and it looks great. The graphics are fantastic. And, cool. and look, okay, the jokes aside, they've done it before, um, but it is a great way to promote a horror game. And, and also maybe by doing it in a different style because it's first person as opposed to third person you're not stepping on the toes of a game. You're not worried about people saying, does this fit in with the, um, you know, do I need to play this? You're like, no, no, this is just a, a little tasty treat in the in the universe. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Enjoy it. And Get I, ready. I guess so. Like, and well, that's, I think that's an interesting thing, thing though, is that I don't think the Silent Hill, the short message is a teaser in the sense for Silent Hill 2. I think this is the, thing that's referred to as Silent Hill F, which is the one that is still, like, kind of the one that's the most under wraps. But Silent Hill 2 Remake, I think it's just a separate oh, project. I, I just mean a teaser in the sense of, like, getting you, uh, just exciting your taste buds for Silent, for Silent right. Hill in general. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that I, I believe the entry in the series that kind of, like, is going to be, is, like, tonally and, like, like narratively going to have elements that, that has crossovers between this, right. the, that, uh, that message is still referred to as Silent Hill F. Um, although I get exactly how that manifests itself, I don't know. But yeah, like the one that's never coming out yet, the one that may yeah probably. Um, but probably there are people at Konami who are probably sat there thinking we made the most like whether regardless of Kojima's involvement and you know Guillermo del Toro and all that kind of stuff, we made the most successful and famous demo in the history <laughs> of video games. We are well within our rights to 
do it again. I don't know, man. Abandoned. What's up there? Abandoned. Uh, uh, like 10 people actually bothered trying to see if Abandoned was actually a video game. Just because you were one of them, James. <laughs> yeah. And then it never happened. Yeah, it just, yeah, never happened. Like, um, like PT and Silent Hill. God, yeah. Um, but one thing we do know is probably happening, even if diehard fans of the original don't want it to, as you mentioned, is the remake of Silent Hill 2, which is the other arm of Konami's kind of like, you know, new and revamped return to video games across the Silent Hill franchise and the Metal Gear Solid franchise. So while Silent Hill has got, you know, the short message and Silent Hill F and that weird borderline TV show thing that looks excruciatingly bad. Um, Bloober Team have been uh, remaking Silent Hill 2 on their behalf, and we saw more gameplay of that than we've certainly have ever seen before, and controversially more combat gameplay of that than mm -hmm. we've ever seen before, which has drawn um, a lot of comparisons, perhaps inevitably, to the Resident Evil remakes, yep. um, which then in turn has perhaps un unsurprisingly upset hardcore OG Silent Hill 2 fans because it kind of is getting away from what they felt that the original was all about. I, aren't they always going to have some like similar feel to them? Because if you take games that are from a similar era and then remake them and they're both like, you know, horror, third person, there's only so much you can do with them. I think those comparisons are going to get made. I Maybe the fact that it's dead, the psychological horror aspects of Silent Hill should have given it a different feel, maybe. I, I can appreciate, but this, but... Yeah, Silent Hill was always meant to be more cerebral and less shooty, I guess. So when you get a trailer that's very shooty, people are like, "Oh, great!" But but then I, I don't know. If, I don't know if I necessarily took that that, that meant the game was going to be really shooty, or whether they just wanted to sort of entice some other than people that would want to see that, um, you know, into into like into the fold as well. Because if they just showed a trailer, whereas the quite lit, if the game doesn't have that much shooting in it, and then they show you a trailer which doesn't have much shooting in it, you might just put a bunch of people off because they're like, well, there's no shooting in it. I, I don't know. I think we need to see more. Um, I think... Yeah, we do. We do. I, I, Resident Evil remakes, was they did phenomenally well, and rightfully so. And I think that Silent Hill 2 is going to do brilliant as well. And I, I don't think I don't think just from this little look is, is any cause for concern at this point. I, I agree as a neutral, but I just have no idea if I actually agree that it's going to do well. Like, Silent Hill just feels so much more niche to me compared to something like Resident Evil. Okay. And the people who love Silent Hill love it in such a way that they're so protective over it that I can see them being very easily offended by the mishandling of Silent Hill 2. Um, like, can I, can I be honest with you? And I, like, And this is one of those things where if I'm indirectly referring to anyone listening to this or watching this podcast, like genuinely please do reach out in some way shape or form because so i could get some first-hand accounts of like of this phenomenon but silent hill 2 came out when i was in 2001 if i'm not mistaken so I, I would have been eight and while i was playing games at the time and i was aware of games at the time like i can remember buying playstation magazines when final fantasy 10 was on the cover so you know i would have been even to the extent that i was going out and buying monthly magazines i don't know if i was super online at the time but I was aware of what was going on, even at eight, and yet there was absolutely no way in hell I was buying or being bought Silent Hill 2, because it yeah. was a very mature uh, horror game, and even if for whatever reason I had read an episode of OPSM 2 and seen Silent Hill 2 getting a 9 out of 10 or whatever it got, begged my dad for it, as an eight-year-old I'd have put that disc in the drive, and I don't know how long that game would have been running for before I turned it off. Um, and so that, that that's my experience, and again, for the record, I am now, I, I turned 31 this year. 
that's how old I am, and that was my age relative to Silent Hill 2. And I feel as though I was aged out of Silent Hill 2 in terms of its appropriateness. I know there are caveats. I know there are people with older brothers or older siblings who would have been gamers and might have got hand-me-downs or watched them play it. Same goes for parents who might have been gamers and played this game and, again, hand-me-downs or watched them play it. I know there are people who go out of their way to fill out their backlog and, and go back and play you know, historically significant or relevant games because they want to know what the fuss was all about or the hype was all about. I know that it would be very easy for anyone to go out and get a PS2 emulator right now and just start playing Silent Hill 2 out of sheer, um, you know, intrigue. I also know that these games were remade and remastered remastered at various points and re-released. And so there are all kinds of ways that someone could have got their hands on Silent Hill 2. But when I go onto Twitter and I see the people who are getting up in arms about the Silent Hill 2 remake and what it looks like. And when I look at their avatars and I look at their bios, I'm like, these people are younger than me. There's absolutely oh, no right. way you have like this weird, like, I don't even know how to describe their avatar, but it, I, I just use the catch-all term anime to describe it. This weird, you're intentionally tweeting everything in lower, in all lowercase in this really edgy way. You tweet 17,000 times a day. You seem to watch every single TV show on planet Earth. You really care about, you know, the One Piece Netflix adaptation or the, 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 um, the, all you know, like, and I'm like, this person has to be younger than me. And I'm like, where did Silent Hill 2 enter their lives in such a profound way? If I'm over here in my 30s saying, oh, I was, I was too young. Um, is it just, is it just that all of these people are secretly in their late 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond? Or like, or is there a weird, like, it was the exact same thing with Final Fantasy 7. I was four when Final Fantasy VII came out, and I'm 31 this year. Like, where did all you people play this? When did you people play this game? I could be really cynical and say I just don't think they did. Because so the, because I well, I have this so yeah. I'm I'm of age to have played all of these types of games to have been there when they came out. Like I played Melga Solid One when it came out and absolutely loved it. Thought it was phenomenal. But you know. I've I've been there for a lot of uh, uh, gay like I played Half Life. I remember playing the first Half Life like when it came out and thinking it was absolutely terrifying and but loving it at the same time and playing like that that intro sequence multiple times. I can tell you now that I played Silent Hill One um, with a friend uh, and we played it for about half an hour before I said I'm not playing this game anymore. It's bloody terrifying and I didn't want to play it anymore. And that was my, and the next thing I, I did Silent Hill related was watch that crap film um, that they made. Uh, that, or no, I don't even think I'd watched the whole film. I think I watched like half that that crappy film and I had no interest in playing Silent Hill 2 because I was like, I don't like scary. Like, so if I said a Half-Life, the intro to Half-Life where it switches and it all goes, everything kicks off, that scared the crap out of me. I mean, and that's not even that scary. So me and me and scary games don't necessarily go hand in hand. But so I was 15, 16 when Silent Hill 2 came out. Right. That, that makes sense. Or maybe 17. But yeah, no interest. No interest at all. So not only are there people, Jamie, who, who weren't old enough to play it, there's a whole cohort of people my age who absolutely were old enough to play it, who absolutely didn't play it because it was terrifying and didn't want to play scary games See, so when i talk when i talk to you about it Josie, it all makes sense i feel like we're reading off the same page it's just when i go on social media that i'm very confused and like i said there are lots of outs i'm sure and i'm sure if people do respond to this cry for help that i'm making right now that will we will hear the people who played it after the fact story we will hear the sibling story we will hear the people who just were much more adventurous gamers than i were when i was seven years old eight years old and i'll put my hands up i'd admit that like i was far more interested in playing 
Jack and Daxter than I was playing Silent Hill 2. That's just because the the kind of eight year old that I was. But like, uh, unless all unless there are a hell of a lot of people, a hell of a lot more people on X or Twitter who are secretly 38 and just don't want to admit it, that I am slightly confused by the fervor surrounding some of some like even like like early noughties titles relative to how old I imagine some people are based on the profiles they run, which itself is maybe unfair of me to look at their profile picture, their bio, and their all lowercase caps tweets and say, well, they must be 16. I, I think and it's like, well, if you're 16, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I someone who was 16 was born in 2008. We've had some good answers from from chat who are saying that, um, and then this was, this was my, this was my, uh, what I would assume as well. So the people that have played it and who who are you know like reacting to it. Um, so a couple in chat saying like they they have played it, but they played it later when they when they yep. were teenagers. Um, but because it was almost like a playing a game they hadn't played before, which is that's a, I I know people who are like that, but I do think those people are. I don't think that's the more common um, experience. Like most people I know. Uh, especially maybe this is just a change in in um temperament but when i was a teenager people we no one was going back and playing old games um but maybe the thing nowadays is there's also that nostalgia thing so people when you're in your early like late 20s early 20s you go back and you play older games to kind of experience them because of what they've become now in like the meta and then you feel like you need yeah. to go back um but I, I don't think that's that many people and and yeah another comment i think rodrigo was saying especially that. because that, that was that was hard at various points. Like I know PS2 uh, emulation is like a walk in the park at some point, but like if you, like you, if you go back to like, there are certainly going to be certain points in the noughties where like you, you really like you were blowing off the dust of your PS2 and going to like a secondhand game store to get a copy of Silent Hill 2 to play out on something you missed, or did you play it in the HD collection? Like in which so, case, so yeah, that's like so again, like Classy Cat saying, yeah, emulation being a big thing about that. So emulation was yeah. not a thing when I was a kid. Like you did, you played games that you had available on your system. If you wanted to play an older older game that you had, you had to dig out your old console and go and plug it in and and find those games and play it. Like you weren't doing it, you know. There was no recourse to playing those older games. So maybe maybe that is why is because it's become a um, uh, it, emulation became that much easier that people could do it. And I think as well the idea of streamers playing old games and like getting them out there and people hearing about them want to play them. But I'm with I'm with you. I had this same feeling when. Um, Oh, Animal Crossing, uh, New Horizons came out, and suddenly everyone lost their minds because they were massive um, Animal Crossing fans. And I think at the time we worked it out and said, but there was only like, there, were, there weren't that many copies of um, Animal Crossing sold back in the day. So how are these people playing it? Like, how are 10 million people, you know, saying, I can't wait to play the next one. I love the first one. You're like, it didn't sell that many copies. But it was good. But hey, nostalgia, man. It's, it's all the big thing these days. It's all about going back, playing old stuff, watching old films, kicking it with a Polaroid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, Animal, I'm reminding myself of the Animal Crossing situation and like one of those things where before New Horizons dropped in 2020, the previous one that was like a fully fledged Animal Crossing game was New Leaf, which was a release in uh, 2012, eight years prior and only came out on the 3DS. And then prior to that, you had City Folk in 2008 on the Wii and uh, Wild World on the DS and then the OG Animal Crossing. Like, yeah, you're right. At some point, you look at the numbers and look at the number of sales and 
a whole lot of people who have to statistically have to have become new fan Animal Crossing fans and you realize and like that's to be expected and I actually think that's a good thing and like same with with Silent Hill like if if more people are joining the Silent Hill bandwagon and these games end up being good and revered and like that's all great it's all net positive Konami have a lot of IPs that I'd like to see them treat with a lot more respect and um you know sort of honor in better in better and more significant ways in in future years mgs of course foremost amongst them and if this is the start of that then i am absolutely there for it. i am just sometimes fascinated by the the fervor on social media that i see for games that myself as someone who is you know now in my 30s like felt aged out of and i'm like are, are, are there really that many people with anime profile pictures who are in their 40s is that is that what's going on or is it yeah, maybe maybe you're maybe there are Maybe there are. Maybe there are. Anyway, I apologise for that um, for that tangent, and uh, but thank you for everyone who 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 chipped in in the chat for that. Um, and I stress again, if you'd like to leave um, a comment or, or reach out on Twitter or on the Discord or anything like that, letting us know your personal journey, your personal history with Silent Hill Two, and how you, as a six year old, formed an unbreakable bond with one of the most historic horror games of all time without shitting your pants. I'd love to hear that. I um, I've got a seven year old. And I can not imagine what would happen if I let him play Silent Hill. Like he he can sometimes he doesn't like to watch certain episodes of kids stuff because he thinks it's too scary. <laughs> so I'm like, play like, a horror game. I'm like, yeah, no. They my kids play Roblox and and sometimes freak out because there's a creature on there that has like a a mean face, and they'll be like, I had a nightmare about of what they called like Rainbow Friends. I had a nightmare. So I'm like, yeah, the idea of them playing like a psychological sort of like taunting horror game <laughs> if they wouldn't right again, again, yeah again like as you said like a game that is 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 revered for being like more cerebral than action focused at a time where like in the in alongside the kind of the resident evil arc of horror and survival horror games like that just makes it even stranger to me but there we go um anyway we move on jonesy to the next title of the state of play and uh 11 years ago if you believe it or not uh 2013 uh, uh, the the Bioshock series bowed out in style with with Bioshock Infinite, um, and the the Helmer of that project and the the whole series up to that point. Ken Levine said, "That's it. I'm done with Bioshock. I'm leaving. The studio's being shut down. I'm going over. I'm going away to go underground, and I'm getting a small ragtag team of developers together, and we're going to make something completely different." And Jonesy in 2024. They released. They have revealed to the world a game that might as well just be another fucking Bioshock. Except now it's called Judas. It should be called Bioshock Judas. Like it looks. It should be called Bioshock Judas. Um, from the Ghost, Ghost Story Games, I believe, is, is is Ken Levine's new studio of um, of of well, ambitious developers that were hoping to make like I think at one point what was pitched as like. Uh, the next generation in narrative and like video game storytelling and the whole idea that we've heard about a million times before about like video the narrative lego bricks and everyone creating their own story and so on and so forth and what we have now is judas sorry for jacking you off no no I, I, so, I but this is a weird one for me because so i play i played bioshock infinite a few years after i think it came out i then tried to go back and play the previous one um i can't remember what the previous one was called it's uh bioshock 2 it's okay. So maybe so. Oh no! Was oh, was it was the was it the Bioshock collections? So maybe oh blimey! Maybe I played Bioshock one, 
and and then was like really thinking and i didn't manage to finish it because that became the running joke and the podcast was like you know i can't remember who it was used to it this is saying to me have you finished bioshock yet and i, was, and I really struggled to yeah. finish bioshock because the, that was just before lockdown i remember right so the gulf between bioshock and for me and like bioshock infinite it comes such a long way i loved infinite i thought it was a, a fantastic game so in some respects you show me judas and I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Like a, a new Bioshock game, which it looks like Bioshock. It's stylized like Bioshock. It seems to have the same kind of like weapon play, but also powers as Bioshock has. It seems to have a similar um, creepy uh, like storyline running through it. And you're going to probably be making some hard decisions. And actually, oh, it's not exactly what you thought. And there's a bit of a twist. You know, Ken Levine seems to be a bit M. Night Shyamalan in that sense. Like he's a, you know, he's, cool. he's a bit set in his ways. But I, that to me sounds, it sounds wicked. But at the same time, it does make you think maybe it would have been more interesting if you did make something else. So I'm so torn on Judas. I'm really, really am torn. Yeah. What are your What are your thoughts? Where are you I, coming at? I, I think I'm slightly torn as well. Like there is a part of me that like, especially because like there have been rumors for a long time now that the Bioshock series isn't necessarily going away. Yes, it's been dormant for a long time, but like we can't be shocked if Bioshock returns in the future based on some of the reporting that's happened and how reputable some of the sources for that reporting have been. So, like, when you think about the idea of, like, Ken Levine, I know some people have, like, there's there's a little bit of, like, people people have changed their minds around Bioshock Infinite over the years somewhat, and there's some kind of, like, you know, what's the, I can't remember the expression I'm looking for, but um, uh, some people have, like, are not, not as hot on it as they were when it released. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Um, but still, broadly speaking, if you took the initial critical reception for Bioshock Infinite, it stormed out the gates, it reviewed extremely well, and until games like The Last of Us and GTA V came out later that year, was a legitimate Game of the Year contender. Um, and so I think you could make the argument that Ken Levine kind of like went out on a high, like went out on top, and when someone like leaves a big studio where they have a lot of control, and even being criticised to the extent to which they are the kind of like the mad genius behind it all, you know, you read some of Jason Trier, in particular, his reporting and his books um, that have covered the development of Bioshock Infinite in particular and, like, like, how exacting Ken Levine can be and how much work he's willing to throw away and how much emphasis he puts on, like, his ideas and the, the execution and being perfect. Like, the idea that someone like that goes away for so long and we see the fruits of their labor for the first 7, 10, 11 years and it looks so reminiscent of everything they've done before, um, that... There's something about that that is, I guess, guess inherently disappointing, but of course, the you know the massive question mark still surrounding Judas is like beyond being a first-person shooter game, uh, at least a uh, at least a partially a first-person shooter game with a, a like very Bioshock-inspired presentation. You know, the idea of maybe like a weapon in one hand and some kind of power or ability in the other, and all those kind of like you know features that remind us um, of Bioshock. Like, what's actually going on here? Like, we know what your ambitions were. We know, you know, the TED Talks and GDC Talks you did in the intervening years. We know what your big ambitions were for video game storytelling. How much have you been able to make good on some of those, not promises, they were never promises, but some of those ideas. And, like, what have you created with Judas? Like, what is going away with a smaller team of hand-picked people for the better part of a decade enabled you to do? Um, and I hope that the answer to that question is something that doesn't have to necessarily even be better than bio, the Bioshock games were at the time of their release, but something that's ambitious or creative or unusual in a way like, like we're gonna, like you want to talk about auteurs, like 
on a podcast like this there is a game we're going to talk about later that for me like reinforces the idea of the video game auteur and the fact that there are people out there with extremely singular unique visions who have people around them who are supporting and propping up those visions in ways that like we just don't very often see this feels like ken levine stepping away from the the authorship idea in the sense that like it just like it, it, it's hard to tell what's unique or what's special about judas at the moment but that is admittedly with a very limited look at what we're actually going to get from that game yeah no no absolutely like it's all to play for i think with judas it's, it's all because it could be it could be that everything that's improved is behind the scenes and is and is in narrative and is in design and and actually the, what you see on a tr in a trailer in a preview doesn't convey anywhere near enough about what has happened but it could be that you know the uh the emperor's got no clothes and it's it's bioshock with an updated yeah. graphics pack yes and we, we remain to be seen whether or not jonesy and i will end up being disciples uh, when it comes to judas <laughs> or whether we or maybe we just might betray it right to get it, Josie, because it's, 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 it's Judas Iscariot. Um, anyone who doesn't know, uh, get to reading the Bible, folks. Um, speaking of the Bible, that's actually not a segue. I just wanted to say that. We had a couple of VR hits because uh, for as much as PlayStation are letting the PSVR 2 sit, gathering dusts on shelves around the world, they are still somewhat committed to seeing some software arrive on that platform. I will briefly mention the... A horrible honor to bestow upon it but perhaps the most forgettable game of the entire show legendary tales which was a like a, a first person sort of like action adventure game we kind of like had a like medieval fantastical kind of feel i don't even really know how to describe it yeah, it looked crap didn't it um, didn't look amazing looked a little bit ropey looked like the kind of thing that you've already seen someone play on steam like a, a version of on steam on another headset made many years past something that looked a little bit more interesting and a little bit ambitious both in terms of what it showed and in terms of the IP it's attached to, uh, Metro Awakening, which um, not only I think that the Metro universe is, is ripe for, uh, for a VR adaptation, but I also think that this looked like a game that was learning a lot from Half-Life Alex in terms of its first-person shooter fundamentals, and that don't sound like a bad thing to me. No, and you nailed this, of course, because I talked about the fact that I was excited for a new Metro game, and I think, yeah, you said it's going to be a VR one, and a great a great setting for a vr game like that sort of linear um you know progression through the through the trains and things works very well with vr like there's some things that i yeah. like about vr some things i don't uh but no this look i think this looked really cool yeah and like metro even as a first person shooter always was such a tactile it was the game where you were wiping like condensation off your mask and yeah. changing gas filters and physically pulling out a map that had a, a compass in the corner and circling your objectives and and pumping you know, gas into it, like there are already so many like logical leaps for you to go for it to go from an FPS, get a traditional FPS to a VR title that I think it could make good on. Um, so excited to see where that goes um, and if it helps the PSVR to shift any more units. Um, we then, though, Jonesy, got back to back hits, um, uh, both uh, coming out of the uh, eastern part of the world. And both arriving, believe it or not, as contentious as it sounds, on March 22nd. First of all, not long. Dragon's Dogma 2. Not long at all, but the fact that they're on the day, the same day kind of like fascinates me. First of all, like a long, long, long uh, awaited sequel out of Capcom, Dragon's Dogma, Dragon's Dogma 2. Um, obviously, the first one became a bit of a cult classic over the years, respected for 
uh, a lot of the trends that it was seen as sort of like starting in some respects. Um, we are now getting a fully fledged sequel, and I know people are very happy about it. Um, has any of the gameplay or any of the, what we've seen in the trailer since it's announced spoken to as someone who maybe wasn't there for Dragon's Dogma One in quite the same way? I I think it looks great. Like it, it it's one of this was. It's something that I every time I see it, I'm like, hey, this game looks really fun, like really cool. I'm I'm sure people who buy it will love it. But it's yeah. nothing in it that I see kind of makes makes me want to run out and pre-order or, or get it. But I'm I'm definitely open to being convinced um, with like yeah. views and with what other people think of it. Like, it won't be the first time. But then like I that's you know it's, it's something like um something you just get used to right as a uh, as a as a someone who plays video games. There's some games look great look fantastic but you just think it's just not really my bag so i probably won't i won't be catching that one i kind of feel the same way um it like it's one of those one of those things i, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head i don't think i'm gonna buy dragon's dogma 2 unless something un, like our otherworldly happens and it you know has a 97 average on metacritic and it becomes this year's like Baldur's gate 3 and that like the thing that wasn't on my radar that i all of a sudden have to play um but it's going to remain a thing that regardless of whether or not I play it, I really want it to be good because I just feel like the Dragon's Dogma community have been a very likable and patient one. And I think it would be cool if they got the sequel that they've been hoping for. Something that um, I think is a little bit more on your radar and mine though, Jonesy, because uh, it kind of is at least playing with genres and settings and uh, eras of history that are right up our street is Rise of the Ronin which is the new uh, third-person action role-playing game from Team Ninja, um, which um, I guess notable because it's, of course, uh, in the same way as Stellar Blade, it is being published by by Sony, so it is a like a, like it's another PS5 exclusive, and in that sense, you know, needs to be propped up by Sony as such. Um, but there's a, there's a lot going on here, Jonesy. You can kind of see some of the Team Ninja DNA in there from like recent releases like like Neo and Wolong that are very much from that from software style you know cut from that cloth and some of that is bleeding into the the combat and rise of ronin but it does look like it's also a little bit more ambitious in terms of its world and its uh its exploration that maybe it's drawing influences from things like ghost of tsushima except maybe we're not quite the same degree of visual polish um which ended up leaving it feeling like a bit of a mixed bag i feel like yeah, I. You're grimacing in a way that you think makes me think you think that even mixed bag might be generous. I think it might be a little bit like. Okay. I, I maybe maybe it's unfair, but it, so it was weird. Rise of the Ronin when it originally was showcased, it was like, oh wow, that is this uh, Ghost of Tsushima two. Then we got to see some more of it, and it was like, oh no, this isn't Ghost of Tsushima two. This is something quite different. Um, but as we get closer and closer to release, I, the word messy just kind of creeps into my mind okay. and maybe you know so, some of what they're trying to do and achieve i don't it's almost i can i can i think i can see what they're trying to do they're trying to create a game that gives you multiple ways of attacking situations and it's got that like from soft kind of uh you know difficulty in some respects but then in other respects it's it's a ghost of Tsushima or it's an assassin's creed and so and every time i see it i my brain is flicking around these different um these different ips about what it is yeah and so, like there was it was a section they showed in the game where you're you know you're in a village and then you zip up to a house but then you pull out some wings and then you're flying around and then you land on a pole and then you and it's like okay what is like is this an arcade 
um, Assassin's Creed game with some, you know, with the uh, Japanese influence. And I, I don't really, I just don't really, really know what it's going to, what it's going to be like to play. Like, it, it doesn't look as though at the moment that it would feel that great to be in control of that character. And I think it's, which is tricky when you've got a game which is less visually polished because the thing that's really got to stand tall is the get is the minute to minute gameplay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the the, the, the rough. Uh, I think I described the visuals as rough around the edges, and it is one of those things where even side by side with the PS5 port of Ghost of Tsushima, which is itself, um, you know, like four years old now at this point, it, it doesn't hold up particularly well in the visuals department. Right. And so I think it needs to go. So I, I think it's going to be a hybrid between. I I think it's going to be them flexing some of the, the you know the combat prowess that they definitely because there's absolutely no question that whether you look at like recent efforts like um, like Neo and Wo Long or that um, Final Fantasy Stranger Paradise game that they did like clearly like they are a team that like are very comfortable in their 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 FromSoft esque combat like mechanics like they think they can nail that stuff and like. The Neo games were very well liked. It, like, you can draw from that, then that's going to be great. I, and I, I think it's maybe the leap into. I think first of all, the leap into like the, some of the like so into, into an open world and something that does draw from perhaps more like Western open world philosophies that you know the Ubisofts and Sucker Punches that you, to mention the two that you called out have drawn from. I, if it is going for that, I can see where maybe there's like a, maybe some elements that don't translate perfectly because the studio's first attempt at going after something like that. Like one thing I, I have seen confirmed uh, since this uh, trailer dropped and since the gameplay dropped is that, um, and this isn't necessarily new for the studio. I actually, I think their, fin their Final Fantasy game, Stranger Paradise had this as well, but there will be difficulty settings in this game. Like there will be an easy mode, which is when you're, when you're sort of like mimicking or piggybacking off some of what from software have done in the past albeit with their own style and their own flourishes i'm not trying to suggest that you know that they're a copycat studio at this point they're absolutely not um but when i think the message you send when you position a game like this as prominently in things like state of play streams which it has now had prominent positions in uh twice uh, as well as appearing at other shows and it's got difficulty options and stuff like that you are trying to send a message that hey this is a little bit more accessible and a little bit more friendly to a slightly wider audience than games like Neo might have been. Um, I, I and I hope that serves it well, but I'm or I'm just as on the fence as you are about whether or not whether I can actually get excited about it based on what I've seen. Yeah, um, but it, it's, it's it's funny. It seems like a lot of the games we saw in this state of play we've had a similar out um, a similar reaction, which is hey, this game could be good, but we just don't know enough yet and we need to wait and see how it actually, you know, how it actually plays, how it reviews. Um, and yeah. Uh, I can think of at least one game we haven't talked about yet that could review a two out of 10 average and I would still think it's the most, most anticipated game of the year and well, of next year, actually. But I couldn't care less what anyone thinks <laughs> about it. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um Jonesy, I remember listening to other podcasts in the past and they would have end of the year awards. So I remember one of the years around 2014, 2015, they did an award for most unnecessary remaster. I regret to announce <laughs> that we are now entering into the realm of most unnecessary remake. Um, and I think one of the top competitors out of the gates early this year will have to be Until Dawn. Um, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I think they got a movie deal the other day. But even that doesn't feel like that's enough of a reason to go back to 
go back to Until Dawn. Like, yes, Supermassive games have come a long way since Until Dawn, and, and they've done a lot in the kind of the interactive horror space in the, you know, close to a decade now that have passed since that title. But I still think Until Dawn was a big enough and popular enough and, like, a game that it sort of stands on its own. I, I, there's nothing about this that felt like it needed to return to me. A sequel? No. That would be great. Like, if you could think of a reason to do Until Dawn 2, then go for it. Yeah, but to, I agree about this. To, to go out and have, like, have it remade? I just... I don't, it seems just too don't early. Seem it doesn't seem like it's it's time to have a remake. I, I, yeah, the remake thing is obviously just going crazy these days, but I'm with you. I think it's not time. A sequel, or a sequel fair, do a sequel, but no, a remake seems a bit, a bit weird. Yeah, especially at a time, like, again, I, I, I don't think this is... I don't know for sure that... I've got a feeling that like Supermassive aren't actually directly involved in this, that this might just be have been sent out to someone else. But like there are a lot of great games that are still not um on the P playable native on the PS5, for example. Um I, I just don't know why this one. Um maybe maybe it will sell a few million copies and someone will say, Hey, that's why. But um until then it will remain a mystery. Um nice things about mysteries though, Jonesy is that sometimes they can be inviting. Sometimes a mystery or unclear or obtuse or obscure imagery can just be an invitation into digging deeper than you've ever dug before, trying to analyze or break down what the fuck is going on in a world, in a trailer, maybe even a trailer for a video game. The last time I went in deep on something like that was um, around about 2019 for the release of a little old title, called Death Stranding, and now, Jonesy, at the start of 2024, we have gone full circle as we have got a, another trailer for, but uh, as a, you know, a, a first, not our first proper look, the previous trailer was chunky, but a real additional, sizable, nine and a half minute long look at the game that shall now officially be known as Death Stranding 2 on the beach. As we discussed last week, in the running for the worst video game subtitle <laughs> of all time. But it's official and it's not going to change. But I have to say, um, if you'll allow me to kind of kick things off by by sharing my top level thoughts. Yeah, go for it. I, I have watched the entire nine and a half minutes of this part of this presentation probably five or six times over. I find myself total like at a point at which I, I, I didn't think I could be still totally enraptured by everything that Hideo Kojima manages to do because it just continues to feel so singular and so unique um and i, I remember in the run-up to the reason i brought up death drowning is because at the time 2019 we we're obviously still working at atg and we're producing a lot of content we ironically had the original uh, iteration of the super show podcast running at the time and i remember saying i'm so glad regardless of whether it's good or bad or over the top or obnoxious whatever the fuck adjective you want to use i don't get i'm so glad death drowning exists because what else gets us sat here talking like what else could you bring up at a podcast and have like three people disagreeing about for 45 minutes because they don't know what the babies are going to be used for they don't know the practicalities of this baby like and he did that through through imagery alone in a lot of cases and we reached a point through the release of death stranding where we played that game and we understood the fundamentals of the of its mechanics and its world and its narrative hooks some of that stuff was good some of that stuff was bad the things we didn't understand those things called expl explanations some of those explanations were good some of those explanations were bad and just when you feel like you've kind of got your uh, just got a hold of everything that death stranding is and stands for and represents you get another trailer that just 
no pun intended, but blows a lot of that stuff out of the water. And you have a whole fresh, you know, wave of questions. Who is this character? Why are they like that? Why does that function that way? What is that for? How does that... To the point where I don't care if I'm going to spend another 60 hours walking across mountainous terrain, except this time it's in Mexico. I genuinely do not care. Because the, the, uh, the, 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 the if you look, <laughs> excuse me, the strands that are holding everything together, the ropes with which Death Stranding 2 has been tied up and packaged are so engaging to me and present such a, like a visual feast that I know is going to be backed up with the most kojima ass bullshit imaginable that I can't help but be like, I, I, I head, I, I'm head over heels for it already. I truly am. I, I can tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's, I think it's special. I don't think, and no one else is doing this. No one else in the world, and no company in the world, let alone a fucking man, would be given a nine and a half minute slot at a state of play, and they just say, hey, edit your own trailer, go fucking ham, can't, like, scan your friends to put them in the game, even though they don't know the performances, because you just want to say that your friend's face is in the game. Do whatever the fuck you want. Go out to Hollywood, start casting Hollywood actors. We really don't care, because there's just something, like, who else can do that? And, like, um, there are going to be some people out there that don't think it's justified, that don't think that Hideo Kojima should be afforded the amount of regal room that he does. Huge conversations around the launch of Death Stranding, around Hideo Kojima needing other people in the room who have to tell him when he's gone too far, or tell him when something isn't fun, or tell him when something is obnoxious or self-indulgent. And I get that. And sometimes I think those people should be in the room, sometimes I don't. I go back and forth on it. But every time I get something like this, I'm reminded that this is just so unique at this point of the which we're in in the industry there isn't like again we mentioned authorship when Lee Ken Levine came up earlier around Judas there is no one else in the industry like him um and and I'm I'm so glad that he is still getting the money from somewhere to do what he can do and is doing I I don't the day someone stops writing Hideo Kojima checks is a sad day for the industry that and I, I I agree with you ma massively on that. And there's a you know we'll talk about something in a minute which is um which suggests that that's not going to be anytime soon. However, <laughs> yeah, yes. So as someone who is for Jesus two thirds of the way through Death Stranding and has not finished it yet, um, but who has a lot of time for it in in its style. This tr the trailer for this I just and some of the stuff it was laying down I just worry that um rather than sort of like revealing something which is going to appeal to more people and maybe kind of make the people who after Death Stranding 1 sort of felt like, what the hell? And sort of close the gap in that. I mean, he's he's never one for being ob like obvious and, and, and having stories that are necessarily, you know, coherent for straight-thinking people. Oh. But I did find it to be a bit like, I don't really, I don't really get it. Like, I... I Good. Good, but there's and some I don't like some of the stuff like and I know I think you, you I think I remember you said in a message like you were you were like yeah that's wicked I love that I did not like like so the little hands around fragile's neck the little glove hands that are just there doing stuff the the weird little uh, yeah. the little um uh, puppet that was a like half frame rate all that stuff I'm just like but like there's nothing okay. confusing about it. like like the what like the not not confusing not confusing but then what's the problem. Like if it's just if it's just a visually cool thing, like if uh, Fragile's mask is just that, 
it's a futuristic mask designed to look like a pair of hands and then they can move up and down and light cigarettes for you why can't that just be a thing that's fucking cool because it made it made me because th- that's fine if that's what it is that's fine but it made me go oh god what what have we now introduced like what what other level to the stuff that i didn't get in the first game are we now going to introduce other what is that we get would you the, the why, why can't something just be cool? No, it it can, but I think that with someone like Hideo Kojima, I am assuming that there's another meaning to, and I need to understand like the story. I need to understand. What's, I don't even understand Death Stranding one, like so. What? So to introduce loads of new stuff and more concepts, and then and then to take it in the so this is the other thing, and I think I said to you guys, to you and Chris at the time about this. Um, so then to take uh, a drawbridge and say, right, hold on, now drawbridge... Is it because it was it Europe or did, did you say it was Mexico that drawbridge... Uh, it seems like it's like Mexico and the Americas. Okay, right. So so to be like, oh, now drawbridge is now in this new place. These people need to be connected and they don't even know they need to be. One of the other thing that I was a little worried about was have we just effectively hit reset on Death Stranding 1 and we're going to start back to where we were again at the very beginning and we're going to have to go through... You know, effectively the same game uh, gameplay loops um, that we did in in Death Stranding in order to and, so, and then it was just these these things that kind of compounded for me and obviously we saw some characters come back um, we saw some things sort of like you know seems it's going to be similar to Death Stranding I I don't know I'm just I was in a bit of a weird place after the trailer there's some really cool stuff and I'm ex- and Hideo Kojima is an auteur and so it's the idea of I love Death Stranding I love the feel Death Stranding one gave me even though I didn't understand some of the high-level stuff that it was trying to tell me. Yeah. Um, it had some of my, easily, my favorite moments in games of, like, the few years the, where I was... There was sections where you're walking down a hill with a backpack on and the camera pulls out and this this music starts playing and it's beautiful. And I was just like, I love this game. How can people not like this game? But then to, to the point where I'm at in the game and I'm just like, I've got no idea about the overarching story and then i keep telling myself oh it's kojima like maybe i'll never understand it and i'm now just worried that in this i'm gonna be even more confused okay see you you definitely make some 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 interesting points and some of them are going to be more subjective than others i oh i think one of the points that you made there that i actually think is really salient that we chatted a bit about it on whatsapp does you know is with, with regards to gameplay um, I think I said to to Chris and yourself uh, during the week, like one of the things that Hideo Kojima has got a lot of mileage out of in recent memory, I think it applied to Metal Gear Solid Five, Phantom Pain to a certain extent, but to extreme uh, to extreme extent, it applied to Death Stranding. Is this kind of this cycle, this gameplay cycle, this gameplay loop, where you take activities or ideas or mechanics or objectives that are kind of like a little bit frustrating, a little bit obtuse to begin with. And you smooth the on-ramp and you make it smoother and smoother and smoother and easier and easier and easier until you've mastered it and you're in your element and then you move on and the stakes get moved. And like with with the Phantom Pain, it was that like, hey, at the start of the game, um, silencers have durability. So if you fire a silence weapon too many times, the silencer literally break. And you're like, I've never seen this in a game before. And like, but eventually you you know, you get better and silencers don't have durability or the durability doesn't have a problem because you've reached max bond level with quiet and she can snipe someone with a tranquilizer sniper rifle from half a mile away and you can just balloon the balloon them out of there and then that's fine. And then it starts doing stuff in the later game where you've been um, eliminating a lot of enemies using headshots in the early parts of the game then enemies in later stages of the game begin wearing helmets. Right. And like the game can counteract with the ways in which you've made the on-ramp smoother. 
and Death Stranding was the same. We all did the first mission in Death Stranding where you have to take a corpse up to an incinerator and intentionally you cannot balance. You basically have to hold both triggers for the entire 20 minute long journey and you're thinking, what the fuck is going on? 12 hours later, you've got a power skeleton on, you've got level 2 shoes that degrade with half the speed, you've drunk 5 cans of monster before you left the base, and you were like, I know exactly where I'm going, I've walked a route, I'm going taking a route that I've walked so many times, a path has actively started to form on the route that I keep walking back and forth, and then you get to the extreme where like, those paths are irrelevant because you and the rest of the community have built fucking roads. And now you are driving cars on those roads in the same places where six hours ago you were stumbling over rocks. And it's like, it's so much about that on-ramp and about yeah. the smoothing of that experience. And before you know it, you go from drive, as we talked about in the midweek, you go from driving cars across literal highways to being in the snowy mountains. And you're like, where the fuck do I go from here? It's taken me out of my element again. And that's the loop. That's the loop. And so there's a part of me that does wonder... Where does Death Stranding 2 start? Because you can't pretend that power skeletons don't exist. You can't come up with a, you shouldn't come up with narrative reasons for Sam Porter Bridges to start wearing level one shoes again. Like, uh, yes. like we're, we're past that. Um, like, so I, I hope that we acknowledge that that is where we've come from. If there are some kind of like narrative excuses to maybe tighten that group of, um, you know, mechanics or tools that we have at our, at our disposal a little bit, but then build out from that the rest of the game. That would be great. But you're absolutely right in that that is something that Kojima needs to figure out. With regards to like the other stuff that you were talking about, some of the elements that you didn't understand or things that didn't make sense to your concerns about not being able to decipher some of what was going on, I think the fascinating thing about Hideo Kojima is that I love him and I love his work. <laughs> and he goes to, in some cases, fascinating extents to explain and just justify every random piece of bullshit in the right. game. But half of that stuff exists in voice memos that I don't listen to. Another half of it exists in emails that I don't read. A lot of it is stuff I listen to and go, you have absolutely no idea what the fuck you were talking about. You tried to justify that. You failed. You, you idiot. This is absolute nonsense. And yet I love it. And I think that is what I wish more people wished they like did with something like Death Stranding 2 is stop looking at Hideo Kojima's work as like, a puzzle that needs to be deciphered. Okay. You don't need to. You don't need to wait till the ninety-minute-long trailer breakdown drops for you to understand. Like, well, I think that's fun, and I engage in a lot of that fan theorying as well because I get kicks out of it. I don't think that's necessarily what it's about. I think you can watch a f like. There's a fight towards the end of the trailer where Higgs, who is somehow now back from the dead and for some reason is wearing the crow makeup, is is, is like talking to Sam Porter Bridges, and a fight breaks out between Higgs who is wielding this guitar that can shoot electricity out of the end of its neck, but is also simultaneously a, like a laser axe, gets into a fight with these two gigantic robots that are wielding samurai swords and have odor decks for a face and make the same noises that BBs make out of them for some reason, and also the tune that Higgs is playing with his guitar that shoots electricity out of it, like the Emperor when the Emperor shoots electricity out of his fingers, is playing the tune of like BB's theme, so is that like a weird meta narrative where like something like I, I don't know like there's two ways you can do like handle all of that information and all those like little things that have been like inserted there that Hideo Kojima has intentionally done you can go why has he done that I need to wait till someone else figures it out or I need to read an email in game for some elaborate and probably quite stupid explanation for why those eight foot tall samurai sword dudes made BB noises or you can just say that was cool like that was fucking rad. 
that I love that I love the choreography of the, that fight I love the way it played out and I love yeah. not being 100% sure what's going on and just kind of let it let the kajimaness wash over you um and and pick it and pick it all apart at another time it's there to be picked apart and oftentimes you won't like what you find but I think that's fun in its own way and and, and, and I don't get me wrong like when when that game drops I absolutely will be getting it and, and I'll yeah. be playing it like that, there's not even a question in my mind of that I suppose what I'm, what I'm, your, you started off, well, sorry, you finished with what you said before about um, as long as people are still writing Hideo Kojima checks, you'll be happy. And I suppose the yes. one thing that makes me wonder one day if someone says no to writing him a check will be when the, you know, there's a third game where people are like, I don't really know what this is. And, and people just start to stop buying them because there is no one else in the room at the point telling him, dude, you can't just do that. You need to actually have something that makes logical sense to the masses. Like you need to, you need to have like the popcorn game in there as well, so people get it. Um, you can't just yeah. be Hideo Kojima in every game because people are going to start to. You lose some of that. Not it's not even goodwill. Like he makes damn good games, but maybe you start to lose some of the masses. And I am, and I'm one of the masses. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. I'm not like a um, hardcore um, like Hideo Kojima, oh, yeah. like fanboy who knows everything about all of his games and like i said i played metal gear solid one when it came out absolutely loved it thought it was phenomenal um didn't understand some of the why i was fighting someone who could control crows and why you know and some of the stuff that goes on was like wow this is weird and i did just let it flow over me like you said i just i was yeah, like this it, is did, just it didn't matter that one of those characters was was, was like like why you, why you had a like vote like it didn't matter like it didn't matter, I guess. It did. Like, it, did. it didn't because at the end of the day, why were you? You were there, but you had a singular purpose, which was you were there to take them out. You were a, you were a, uh, you were a spy, and you were armed, and you were there to take them all out. And that was why you were there, and to stop yep. the, and to stop Metal Gear. That was why you were there. But the problem with with some of like the Death Stranding stuff for me is, I'm I'm there to make. And so he started, which is ironic almost, because he, you know, you why is Sam there? Sam is there to build bridges. Um, or to connect people and you know build the bridges which is why it's called bridges um but then you start off death stranding 2 with the idea of should we even have built the bridges should we have connected people and so i'm like oh there's this overarching like narrative that i need to try and understand and then if i go into it thinking i might never understand this then i then the i it's just like I, 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 I don't think death stranding 2 has shown its hand in terms of like what like why sam is venturing back out and like like we've heard some like fragile's like mission statement sure right like yeah, I, I, still don't, I, I still don't know that we know like the overall kind of like idea like there are things going on there about like like the 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 the, diff, the disparity between the world of the living and the world of the dead and can we like drift in and out of the beach like Elle fanning who we knew was going to be in this game we see her very briefly in this trailer and it's implied that she's this person being pulled out of this cocoon but that's an entire character that we don't know like her role in all of this yet right um the other actress that was cast really could sooner or something like that I apologies i can't remember exactly what it is we haven't even seen her yet and like so i i don't know the, the, i don't think even think death stranding has played its major cards in terms of narrative i think this is no, i'm sure right, yeah. i think this is like yeah this is just fun stuff i which, I would which, the, which the original game did as well like i remember there was a random a random death stranding trailer in the middle of all the other trailers where it was just the cut scene that plays out before a boss fight that you have with higgs and you're like who is this guy the man why the, the man with the golden mask because he was known at the time how can he control um the things that we would later come to know as bts like like he 
he presents this stuff out of context and out of order so often because sometimes like marketing is just about like hey show people shit that looks cool <laughs> yeah that's very true but it's, it's funny because you were saying like how how is he going to do the you know does sam have level one boots again i would not be surprised at all if as soon as you start that game it becomes totally apparent that a lot of that stuff is irrelevant and it's and it's right, and right. and kojima's done what you didn't expect at all and you know what you're not now stumbling around on rocks trying to fall over it's it's totally different it's it's but they are, I suppose yep. the only the only thing I would say is I hope is in, in Death Stranding Two could be just like Death Stranding One in in feel and tone and everything, and I would love it. The only thing that I would like less of, and this is always true of open world games, is I do think there was a bit too much busy work by the time um, I was got to a certain point in Death Stranding One, where I was finding a lot of materials to build roads and stuff like that that I would I would like to rein in a bit because I spent a long time. Yeah um doing a lot of that kind of work and if he's if he's polished up some of that stuff and just smoothed out some of those those loops where i'm not like i ended up driving back and forward to like what you know from different places where the roads were built just to get minerals in a truck to take them to a thing to build a road and it only built 10 meters of road and i'd go back and burn it and i was like ah oh, okay man this game is fantastic but this bit is not fantastic <laughs> and then and it's yeah which so some of that can 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 be knocked on in the head and they and yeah as you say, he's very good at polishing, so it may well be that, that a lot of that kind of stuff is is lessened. But I, I'm super excited for Death Stranding too. Like I do think it's going to be fantastic. But at this point, I was I did I did just come out of that trailer feeling a little bit like, God, <laughs> I I'm already. Yeah, be... I, I I'm not. Yeah, that, I think that's totally fair. It was a long trailer. It showed a lot. Um, it wasn't always you know super easy to tell what you were seeing and why and how it related to the kind of experience you're gonna have when that game comes out. Um, or even what happened in Death Stranding 1. Um, so I, I totally get your reaction to it, as different as it was to mine. I, st I still like the idea of going back and having some more connection stuff with like BB and that. I loved all of that stuff. They, just, the, just some of the, the connections, the story, the telling, the, the characters, like Mama and Abe, like some of his stuff like that is fantastic. Like he writes yeah. so well, even if, I'm, even if I sort of say that I don't necessarily always understand his overarching writing, I think his nuanced writing is fantastic. It's it's also sometimes terrible, but yes, it is sometimes great. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah, uh, 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 Mario and Princess Beach uh, comes to mind for anyone that got towards the the final stages of Death Stranding. Um, oh, okay, I've not I'm not there yet, so yeah, I'll have to find um, out what that's all about. There's a little there's a little teaser for you, Mario and Princess Beach. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering the if names the... of his characters are horrendous. I'm not. Yeah, let's just start. Oh yeah, uh, uh, yeah. That I, 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 don't, I, yeah. I think horrendous, but also kind of cool. Um, and yeah, uh, but we'll, but we'll see. We'll hopefully hear about uh, Death Stranding two more in the coming months. That has been slated for 2025. So um, not one to quite hold your breath for yet. Um, but I will say, Jonesy, like in previous uh, episodes of the podcast, we have had a running joke that studios like Insomniac uh, appear to be the ones that never down tools and are always working on something around the clock and they've always got the next thing ready to reveal one of the previous things barely out the gate. Um, at the rate they're heading, Kojima Productions are not far behind on trying to sort of like take up Insomniac's mantle as the studio that always seem to be doing more than they could possibly actually be doing. Because alongside obviously developing Death Stranding 2 on the beach and Overdose, uh, that we saw at the Game Awards and, of course, in collaboration with Xbox. Um, we now have the announcement of Hideo Kojima and Kojima Productions' next game, 
because after the Death Stranding 2 sequence, we then cut to a live-action shot of Herman Holst and Hideo Kojima there together, wrapping up the show. Herman Holst, of course, head of PlayStation Studios, and they announced um, verbally that preparations uh, are underway for a brand-new original IP that they are going to enter into production on after Death Stranding 2, um, and it has been described as a next-generation action espionage game, which sure sounds a hell of a lot like PlayStation sat down with Kojima and said, look, we're really grateful for Death Stranding and for Death Stranding 2. That's been been great. But could you make us one of those Metal Gears as well, please? We really want one of those Metal Gears. Yeah. Like, that. that is... It's so funny because they said it and they're like, brand new IP, action, uh, espionage, and you're just like, so Metal Gear. <laughs> so, so, you, so we're getting Metal the Metal Gear guy to make get Metal Gear, okay. Uh, they're going to call it something. They're not going to call it Metal Gear, but it's Metal Gear. Um, but yeah, like this, I don't think he could have made a pot a better announcement at any game award than if if you just say Kojima, Kojima's making an action espionage game. I think everyone's like, yes, yeah, yeah, because it it like it. He said it themselves. Like he referred to the his experience and history of Sony making that genre or growing that genre, as I think they described it, going all the way back now almost thirty years. And like absolutely, like like sony playstation and, and kojima like that like they were key players in what was the you know the birth and the and the growth of a genre that is then morphed into all kinds of other genres and infected all kinds of other genres and games and uh over the years um if he if this is happening because kojima had like the idea and the impetus to do this and sony were the right partner for it or even if it did happen the other way around where Sony begged something, paid Kojima to make something a little bit more conventional and like user friendly and a little bit less bizarro than Death Stranding is to perhaps the average Joe. I don't really care how the conversation has started. It's just exciting that this is happening. Um, I will say, Jonesy, before I throw over to you, one of the things that may have wet um, Kojima's appetite are some of Sony's ties to other parts of their uh, business doings. Um, Kojima said, and I've got a quote here. Also, Sony not only do games, but also music and movies. It will definitely be a strong collaboration. Um, and then he goes, of course, it is an interactive game, but it is also a movie at the same time in terms of look, story, theme, cast, acting, fashion, and sound. With this title, we hope to transcend the barriers between film and video games. Obviously, a lot of that stuff very reminiscent about the kind of stuff he was saying about overdose in that yes. like clearly there is some blur in the lines between film and video games going on here still though the vibe i got was that um fizzint however you want to pronounce it which appears to be the working title for this uh the, for this game does seem to be more of a game than overdose and when you refer to things as um when you when he says it's a movie at the same time in terms of look story theme cast acting fashion and sound that just reads to me as hey i'm gonna get a hollywood-esque cast which has been doing for a long time already and when your story theme acting fashion and sound and look are all like a movie that just reads to me of like very long very polished very elaborate cinematic cutscenes, which have been a staple of the metal gear solid franchise for a well Anyone who played Metal Gear Solid Four knows that could, you know, Kojima can go buck wild on a cutscene if you let him. So it's always funny because it almost sounds when when he says that, and you you think, well, hold on, you already do that, and it make, almost makes you think maybe he's just leaning into what he already does. And actually, if he was making Death Stranding One now, maybe he would like, and he was promoting it, maybe he would say, 
it's going to be a game and a movie and it's because you know, he's just so maybe it's maybe it's just a reframing as opposed to a different type of medium maybe. maybe he's just letting himself add an extra 10 minutes to each cutscene, and so that, but that's like, how he wants to frame it that sounds cool as well like like let's say for example let's take the argument that one of his recent like hollywood buddy hangouts was was uh, for this collaboration and let's say timothy chalamet is the star of hideo kojima's next generation action espionage game the idea of there being like a like fully mo-capped like a high like extremely high strung high production value choreographed like half an hour even half an hour long cutscene yes like some people have issue with that because a half an hour long cutscene can be difficult to work your life around if you know you're getting ready for bed and a cutscene starts and you go oh this might be a short one and you sat there half an hour later with your eyelids slowly (laughs) closing but like if that's what he's going for that he basically wants to make like a, a, a he basically wants to create sequences that are like movie like in their in their presentation that i'm also kind of down for that as long as the gameplay holds up yeah no i totally am as well like as games get better like they're going to get closer and closer to movies anyway and i mean think of something like um um last of us part two right like that was some of that sections of that game were movie like i would say i mean they're not kojima levels of length and like intensity and whatever necessarily but yeah that's i think that's the way the industry is probably going anyway especially with these more linear narrative games and so to, for him to sort of say, no, sod it, I'm just going to say it out loud. Like, yeah, it's it's a game and it's a movie. Like, I'm not I'm not opposed to that. I suppose my only yeah. issue is if if it ends up being detrimental to the game because the stuff that can you end up being almost like most of the cool stuff is happening in cutscenes, and I'm actually getting to play the less um, engaging sections of this movie game. That's the only thing that yeah. I would be worried about in some. But I I don't see I don't think see any reason why that shouldn't necessarily be the case just because it's the way that he's described yeah this and overdose as well like overdose seems more like it's movie first maybe um an interactive game i don't know it, i don't know people. what i don't know what overdose is like this seems like more of a game to me already than overdose it sounded I don't more that's like copium because no it sounded yeah. more like it the way the way that it was said it sounded like you said it sounded more like they've said we're gonna make this amazing next gen game which is gonna feel and look like a movie and but it's a game, whereas Overdose yeah. seemed to be like it's a multimedia experience. Yes. By the by the way, I referenced Metal Gear Solid Four earlier as kind of like the high point for Hideo Kojima's like, like going in on cutscenes. For anyone wondering what the actual numbers there were, uh, Metal Gear Solid Four: Guns of the Patriots had um, over eight hours of cutscenes in total, um, uh, close to nine hours of cutscenes in total. Uh, the longest single cutscene in that game was seventy-one minutes long. Oh, that and so there are there are there are eighty and eighty-minute movies. There are millions of ninety-minute movies. So like you are uh, encroaching on feature-length cutscenes in what was already one of Hideo Kojima's most you know, beloved and critically acclaimed works. So he's gone into that territory before. Let's see if he does it again. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's excited to see what he what he comes out with. Absolutely, like, yeah. Um, and obviously that was kind of like a, a a big close, I guess, because you had the double whammy of a a whole heap load of Death Stranding two, and in the tease of something new and incredibly different. Um, how did you feel about the state of play as a, as a whole? It was a weird one. I it's in so I wanted to come off the back of it and and agree with what some other people were saying and sort of say actually it wasn't that great. It was um a bit. 
not a damp squib, but like, it, you know, there needed to be a bit more. But actually, like on reflection, I think there was a decent amount there to like get excited about. Um, it, it could, I would have liked it if there were more, like maybe two, two, maybe three would be a bit much. There were one or two more big hitters um, that you know, yep. really like, for example, I think we mentioned last week, like a, and it, we said it wouldn't happen necessarily, but if let's say it was a uh, Ghost of Tsushima 2 kind of level announcement, um, but not that because of Rise of the Ronin, uh, but something like that to just to give it like a tentpole to the uh, to the first third of of the state of play. I think you've, maybe they were relying a bit too heavily on um, Silent Hill Two being that for them in that sort of like middle section. Death Stranding and Fizzint were massive, I th I think. But if Stellar Blade was their opener, um, I just don't. For me, that wasn't enough. And Stellar Blade had like a lot of time devoted to it as well of the state of play. But I think if you yeah. aren't, if you're not on board with with Stellar Blade, then I think the first sort of 20 minutes of that showcase is is a bit kind of meh, which... No, I, I agree. I agree. Like, as someone who is in the same boat as you in the sense that Stellar, Stellar Blade didn't really land for me and that I'm curious about, the, you know, Konami's, uh, you know, newfound adventures in the world of Silent Hill, but I'm I'm cautious about those because I'm not a big horror guy. Like, I was slightly underwhelmed, if anything, by by Judas, for example, and you know, and, and, and perhaps to a certain extent by Rise of the Ronin, I think they took the edge off what could have been, uh, especially if there hadn't been any kind of spoilers or leaks beforehand, what could have been a pleasantly surprising state of play overall. But in the end, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a state of play that really was out there to like to shock or surprise anyone. There was nothing there that even without leaks, you'd have gone, oh my God, I did not see that coming, with the exception of Kojima's announcement at the very end. Like a lot of the others were kind of like, marketing checklist yes they need to Stellar Blades out in April you know Rise of the Ronin's out in March Dragon Dogma's out in March Hell Helldivers is out next the week after like they need to check in on some of those games it's the reason why saying that there's going to be a state of play and probably a Nintendo Direct before before the end of February of any given year is rarely a wild bet like there probably will be a Direct before the end of February because um, uh, you know, Nintendo are in the same situation of like Gonna get the marketing re like up and running for some of these things that you have during this year. Nintendo don't have much, but like you're gonna absolutely like Nintendo absolutely want you to remind you that like that Mario and Donkey Kong puzzle game and that Princess Peach game and all those things all still have to come out before the Switch Two inevitably gets revealed at some point in the latter part of the year. Um, one thing I suppose we we didn't mention, and maybe this is maybe this is one of uh, because of time that they didn't do it, but. Um, so Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is getting his very own look. Uh, That's happening right today. Now. Yeah, I was going to say as we speak. So I think that was one thing that they left out because of time, and they said, "But don't you know?" They said, "Oh, but this isn't the end." On the yeah, they said, "Right." They said on the sixth, we've got a, a, a Rebirth only um, state of play. I, I, maybe if they'd have maybe if they'd have bumped this up to like an hour and they'd have had Rebirth in there, then they would it would have done enough. But I think it would have been stronger for some people, but for me, it would have been that same thing of like, yeah, of course, Rebirth is in this. Like that's another marketing beat they need to hit yeah. in this part of the year. Yeah, it's nothing, like, nothing new. Something we haven't heard of. Yeah, it still wouldn't have been an announcement that made me go, "Oh, cool." Um, but hopefully, they're saving plenty of those for the remainder of the year. Yes, it's it's so funny because when you when you think about it, like fizz in. If if they'd have had, if it was like the, um, uh, oh god, what what's it what's it called? You know, the the, the green eyes, like the three, like um, oh. 
yes, if it was like that sort of level reveal of an IP already known and there was a new game coming in that series, I think people would have been losing their minds a lot more. But because it's a, it's a new IP and it's a name, it's a working title, and it was kind of mentioned that they'll be working on it in 2025, I think maybe that, that um, reveal didn't get as much love as it probably could have done. Because that's massive. Like, that is massive. It's absolutely huge that Kojima said that him and Sony are working on a... Um, uh, yeah, new um, a new IP. Again, like if they legally, if they could refer to it as a spiritual successor to Metal Gear, I'm sure they would. You know, it's that it's in that realm. If if they if they if they could have, I know they couldn't, but if they could have had like the uh, who's the who is the fella on the the radio with the with the green and he comes and he goes snake snake snake. If they could have just had something like uh, that, everyone would have been like ah! um, Ot um Oticon Oticon. Like something like that, like uh, people would love that kind of little callback these days. I think if you, yeah, then you'd have a letter from Konami's lawyers in the morning. So of course that's why you couldn't do it. Um, but but that, I think that's I think that was easily the biggest thing in the show. Like Death, obviously because we already knew about Death Stranding too. I think that was easily the biggest thing, um, a really cool thing to end on. And maybe because it overdosed, it lost a little bit of its sting as well because it was we've already had a similar. Maybe thing from Kajima. Well, just because it's far away. It's like it's hey, away. it's like when 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 Bethesda put up the the splash screen for the Elder Scrolls Six, but like before they'd even finished working on Starfield, like it was back in 2018. It was the same thing where like we'd just seen a trailer for a game that is coming out in 2025, and we're being told verbally that what they're going to start working on after they finish working on this one. Like, yeah, it just feels like a long way away. Like you don't. That's you know, yeah. It, 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 it's sensible to not have like if you if you're gonna become a diehard Fizzant fan from now, you're gonna have a very long like eight years or so until you see <laughs> that. And you think about like like the because games take a long time to make, and Kojima it sometimes often makes them faster than the rest of the industry tends to. But like we have no idea when Fizzant's coming out. He referred to it as next gen, you know that so. That, that's not horrible. This is basically a PS6 game. Should I tell you something horror? So let's let's think. So he's not starting to make that until 2025, right? Uh, if it takes him, so let's say what we're saying, like eight years from now, do you reckon, or eight years from from then? So eight years after. I, 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 I don't think it will take Hideo Kojima eight years to make that game. I think it will take Hideo Kojima like three to four years to make that game. So, but realistically, by the time that game comes out, I will be looking down the barrel of being in my uh my late 40s yeah that is like disgusting that is that is that is now that's a damn but the, so the, i should be going announced it the p the ps6 will come out at the what the end of 2027 um oh, probably okay yeah. yeah and i can maybe see fizzant being like a 2028 29 20, 20, 2029 game that's horrible and even that that's generous that's five years away that's me giving Kojima Productions five years to finish Death Stranding two and make Fizzin while overdose is going on in the background. I think that's ambitious and probably won't happen. But so I can, I Fizzin can go into the twenty thirty. I could be forty five telling my teenage kids why they should play this Hideo Kojima game, and they're like, "Who Hideo Kojima? What? Who's he?" And yeah. I'll be like, "You should play him. He's brilliant." Oh, yeah, funny man. Oh dear, scary times. Well, meanwhile they're still they will actually just still be playing Roblox. Um, oh, duh. no, no, we, nothing we, will change. We won't be playing anything, but then it'll just have uh, Apple Vision Pro eyeballs, like, or directly in my head, and they'll uh, 
won't be able to play anything because I'll just be getting adverts and, and apps piped straight into my brain. So yep, they'll they'll deep fake your face with with their their favorite YouTuber, and um, so every time they look at you, they just see their favorite YouTuber, and they'll ignore everything you say. Who is the? Uh, uh, I can't even think of the name of their favorite YouTuber currently. Is uh, oh, what is his name? I can't. Uh, I can't. Probably um, someone who is thirty-one but sounds and acts like they're 17. Yes, it is exactly, that is exactly yeah. what it is. His name's, is, there's a guy called like Evan or Ethan or something. Oh God. Who plays a lot of Minecraft and like Roblox, but he's, yeah, he's exactly that. I think he's 34 and he's, he sounds 17 years old. What is his name? I don't Is know. it Minecraft? No, not Minecraft, Ethan. That doesn't have nearly enough subscribers. Ethan Gamer? No. I can't. Um, I know, uh, and one of them is Mikey and JJ, but they're not even. That's just the voices. That's not even uh, someone's face. Yeah. Well, I think we need to draw this conversation to close, JJ, before we get into too dystopian territory. About yeah, we're getting the, weird, aren't we? The future of video game entertainment. Let's just focus on the good things, like Adega Juma still making games, and of course, if you want to share your thoughts or opinions on anything that was in the state of play, or of course, going all the way back to the big conversation about the Xbox situation. Um, any rebuttals to any points or arguments we've made here today, then please do join in the conversation, either in the comment section down below or maybe on Twitter or over in the Discord if you did want to join in. That link, once again, to our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash super show, and the $2 tier will get you exclusive access. This was a longer podcast than I had buckled myself up for, Jersey, so thank you very much for your patience and your expert opinions and analysis throughout. Uh, no, thank you, mate. Yeah, we somehow managed to make this last for a very long time. Um, I'm just going to say, I, I hope I hope everyone's ready for a smash cut, Jonesy, because uh, that's what you, that's what we're about to get. Smash cut, Jonesy. You, Jonesy, is about to to uh, earn the big bucks. This is where nicknames uh, get made and legends get made. Um, thank you, Jonesy, for uh, being such an astute and generous co-host. Uh, thank you wherever you are for watching and or listening, and we'll hear who will hopefully. See you back here. Maybe same place, maybe same time. Probably on a Monday instead, though. Um, for more gamey goodness. Thanks for watching. We'll see you there. See ya.